Welcome to Storytelling Breakdown. I'm Steven Stahosky. I'm Larissa Whitaker. I'm Caleb Meyer. And I'm Ben Clemmer. Today we are talking about a franchise of great significance and one that we have previously talked about on the podcast. Uh, back in season two, we had my brother as well as Jane Martin on, uh, good friends and formative influences, talking about something else that is very much a formative influence would you say it is so significant, Ben, that it belongs in a museum? <laughs> we are talking about Indiana Jones. We have the latest installment now, Dial of Destiny, that we all got to take in as a group uh, a few days back, which was a ton of fun. And we've grown up with these movies. I think my first viewing of the original three would have all been on VHS tapes uh, yeah, in terms of just the range here. Those are also in a museum now. His hat from Raiders and from his whip from Raiders is in the Smithsonian in DC. As oh, yeah, awesome. yeah. Oh my goodness! I think I may have seen those. And I don't know if they I mean, were there I when I saw them. But. I have. I first got connected with the Indiana Jones films because I attended an '80s theme Girl Scouts father daughter dance in which I won a raffle for a movie poster for Indiana Jones and the Raiders: of The Lost Ark. And my dad's like, "Well, since you got it, you got to see them now." That's awesome. And then I watched all of them, and I enjoyed them, and I did a presentation on Steven Spielberg when I was in the eighth grade and I dressed up like Indiana Jones and I'm very proud. So do you still have the poster? Maybe. How big like like a big It was like a regular it was this big. No, well, and and, the, and those uh, Struzan posters are iconic. I mean, goodness, yeah, yeah that's an, an amazing image. Well, and I, I mean, they're the Indiana Jones posters, like the original like movie posters that came out for those. They they've been riffed on since mm-hmm. they were so like yeah. I started <laughs> that, and the artist who did him was prolific and did so many. Films. Oh, he did tons yeah, as well, is, right? The other, but I, I started the new remake of Ducktales <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with my boys. First off, if I'm gonna complete tangent, that's it's great. I love it. David Tennant voices Scrooge McDuck, and it's brilliant. But the DuckTales logo is a giant riff on Indiana Jones. Do you want to continue this tangent for a moment? Because you mentioned Tennant's work on that. Because someone pointed out that that might have been the overlap with Sam Regal. And it might have been where he was asked to sign on for season one of The Legend of Vox Machina. Oh, that might be it. Hey, do you want to help us out with an animated series that we're doing? You get to play a dragon. And you get to swear in this one. Sign me the yeah i mean it's hilarious listening to like sam loves it my my sam my my oldest he loves ducktales and it is very indiana jonesy and it's like weird vaguely supernatural adventure things and huey dewey louie and the new one webby speaking of children's media that is a parody of indiana jones i like the veggie tales movie minnesota cute (laughs) and the search for samson's hairbrush Oh, oh my goodness! Man. There's been so many. Like I mean, oh wow! When you've got such a lightning strike of a series with those first three movies, they're like the quintessential action adventure movie. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna spawn it's gonna spawn spinoffs. It's gonna spawn sequels. Well, Lego yeah, video game sequels. adaptations. Lego <laughs> comics. Those are fun. Actually, TV shows. <laughs> they are in so many ways remixes because Star Wars and Indiana Jones both come out of the serial era and media that Spielberg and Lucas consumed as they were growing up. And then it's like, hey, we're going to take these old B-movies that we were inspired by growing up and turn turn them into a cornerstone of the blockbuster genre. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. (laughs) And just, it is unbelievable to look back on Raiders of the Lost Ark and as as we've talked about sometimes on the podcast that it is very much so a, a... in many ways, a perfect movie, and then has spawned entries of 
varying degrees of quality, and that will be part of this conversation mm. for sure. Before we go any further, though, uh, you've had 15 years for Crystal Skull as well as many more years than really that for 15 2008. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I thought uh, it was more recent. <laughs> oh, so, okay. spoiler alert for all the Indiana Jones films, especially Dial of Destiny. If you haven't gotten to see it, it was amazing to go see it in theaters. I did it twice, once with my parents, once with this group. It was a joy. If you haven't occasions. seen it, yeah. stop listening. <laughs> go watch it. Yes, indeed. And then come back. We'll be here. We're not going anywhere, but you don't want to get it spoiled if you've not seen it. But the movie might be going somewhere. Might not be in theaters that long. Yeah, the so. movie might not be in theaters much Harry! longer. So I do. Yeah, I, I'll recommend yeah. find it, it where theaters, you can find it. For sure. See it as soon as you can. Because it was a, it was a blast in the theaters. It was a great experience. It's not the first thing I've seen in theaters since uh, No Time to Die came out. So highly recommend. Yeah, glad we got you back in. As we go through this conversation, and we, you guys have all kind of started speaking to this because I did want to get a sense of what everyone's first remembered exposure to Indiana Jones was or just any other memories of great significance. So Larissa, you pretty much beat me to the question. <laughs> uh, and then I also did want to get kind of a general reaction to Dial of Destiny before we start deep diving in. So other Indiana Jones memories? Because I remember when I talked with my brother and I talked with Jane, it was fun to talk to them like about their first memories of, I think we didn't so much talk about Indy specifically as we talked about Hitchcock and Spielberg. But given this is an Indiana Jones-focused conversation, we can keep it focused on Indy. Growing up in my house, we had the special release edition of Star Wars on VHS and the box special release edition of the Indiana Jones trilogy, the original three, on VHS. And what I remember most distinctly is that for the longest time, I was only allowed to watch two of them. I was only allowed to watch Raiders and The Last Crusade. <laughs> and I didn't end up seeing Temple until I was like 13 or 14. And it still scared the ever-loving out of me. Like, that movie is actually scary. Yeah. yeah, it's intense. And then, of course, like, I might have seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skull before I saw Temple of Doom. 2008. Yeah, that would time out about yeah, that, actually. Yeah, like, I might have seen it before I saw the Temple of Doom. Actually, just to scratch that, I know I saw the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull before <laughs> Temple of Doom. Because my dad was really excited, so we went and saw it in theaters. And he was so mad when we got out of the theaters that we went home and he put on the Temple of Doom and said, no, you're watching the one you haven't seen. <laughs> and I went, okay. And 2008, I was 13 or 14 and that's what we watched. And I went, oh gosh, this is scary. Anything goes. I don't like horror already, so. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that one actually, still to, the, my day, to this day, might be my least favorite just because I don't like being scared. But okay. you know, so that was me. Like I grew up with the first, with, uh, with Raiders and, and Last Crusade. And those were a pretty regular rainy Sunday or rainy day watch in my house growing up. I cannot tell you when the first time I watched these movies were. I know that I've only seen Temple of Doom once. Because I know I've seen it, and I'm pretty sure I've never watched it again since then. Not because I have anything against it. I actually really want to watch it again, especially, you know, now that I'm kind of in that vibe. I don't know. I probably was around, I don't know, somewhere between 12 and 14 when I saw them for the first time. See, I grew up on Stargate. SG one, which has a lot to which do lot with Jonesy. It gets Jonesy. It's very Jonesy, and there's a lot of like Egyptian history yeah, and stuff in it. Is. And then the Mummy was also a big movie in my household. The Mummy would is, not have been as successful. As no, it's. I mean, was, it's, yeah, yeah, it's kind of directly in these inspired by Indiana Jones. But yeah. I'd seen those first. Okay. And so then coming into Raiders, especially like the little bit where he has the stick 
and it redirects the sunlight like oh, through the, the Egyptian city yeah. to find it. I was way into that kind of stuff. Yes. So Raiders yeah. is great. It definitely yeah, vibed Raiders. with me quite a bit. Very good. I was trying to think of an analogy of like what would this look like timing wise because the gaps are so significant because the gap between Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is 19 years. The gap between Skull and Dial of Destiny is 15. And so I was kind of doing the math in my head and just thinking like, okay, let's take a a recent trilogy run with an actor in, in his prime. Okay, they do a fourth Guardians film or story of Star-Lord in 2042. And then they do another installment in 2057 when Chris Pratt is ready to retire from acting. Like, the Agreed. longevity. That's insane. Yeah, the longevity, the fact that Ford played the character for the first time in 81 and then just acted his ass off in a wonderful fifth installment that came out this it, year. Absolutely it really was mind. good. So what's the gap between Raiders and Dial? 42 years. 42 years. Wow. Good yeah. lord. <laughs> That's crazy. That's and, absolutely crazy. And after reprising Decker for Blade Runner 2049. He did, After yeah. reprising Solo. You can kind of tell, like, it's been wonderful to kind of see the press tour going around for Dial of Destiny. Indy is clearly the character closest to his heart. And amazingly, I remember uh, Caleb, you and I were talking about this a little bit, too, as we were organizing our headspaces for this episode. Whether we're talking about something like Michael J. Fox not originally being cast as Marty McFly, Harrison Ford was not originally cast as Indiana Jones, or at least wasn't the first choice. They wanted to go with Tom Selleck. And then oh, he so couldn't glad get, they didn't. Yeah, he couldn't get out of a contract for Magnum P.I., and Ford never looked back. And, beca- and it became even stacked up against the likes of Han Solo, the character he's probably most well-known for and well-connected to. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a toss-up, right, between Solo and, and Indy, which which is more widely known. Well, um, Star Wars is a much bigger franchise than it Indiana is. Jones. But I think Indiana Jones is a much more iconic character than Han Solo. Well, I think when you think Harrison Ford, your brain's going to go to one of those two first, mm-hmm. and it's a it's going to be a toss-up, person-to-person, 50-50 Fedora shot. or no fedora. Right, 50-50 <laughs> shot, whether or not you land on Solo or you land on, on Indy. And in... I don't know. I think, I think I land on indie more often than not because indie's better. In, I, I, yeah, well, we can That's get into my, my opinion. Opinions. I'm putting it out on the pod. That's fair, but I, we can get into my opinions on what Disney did to Star Wars after the original trilogy, and and at some point we don't need to do that right now. Well, Harrison Ford, I think, really got to do what he wanted to do with most of these. I guess 2015 and on entries because he's been trying to kill Han Solo since 1980. Also true. <laughs> also <laughs> true. Then, he succeeded. Yes. <laughs> and then they brought him back oh, as a ghost. Yeah. It, Rise of Skywalker is its own thing. It's and, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but then I've, also I've that out. He, he got to go on a out on a high note with Indiana Jones this much later. And it's un, I, again, it's amazing to what extent that they pulled it off.
interesting about about this, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit, but I'm going to touch on it now. They tried to send him out on a high note after the fourth one, mm-hmm. but they just missed the they missed the bus. They they missed the mark by a lot for very many different reasons we can talk about. But this one cur- succeeded in what it was trying to do with the dial. The dial of destiny succeeded in what it was trying to do by sending Indy off, Indy off in the proper fashion, where the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull failed to send Indy off. And I think in my we can get into it, but I, I have a I have a way that I think it's completely boiled down to two two things. So effectively, I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull showed us an old Indiana Jones who. At the core of the character, the idea was, I'm old, but I've still got it, Whereas, which didn't work. When, mm-hmm. when you're trying to send the character off and, and it be the final, quote-unquote, final installment, that, that attitude isn't going to work. And so for all of its other foibles, I think at the core of the character, that was the main issue, in my opinion. Then when you look at the Dial of Destiny, the core of the Indy's character was he's lost who he was and he's old. And he's like, I don't, I don't think I, I can't, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I don't think I can pull this off, Those but nobody else can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to try. And that's what makes, I think that's what makes his victory in the end of Dial of Destiny feel so much more fulfilling mm-hmm. is because he, he, first off, he finds, he finds himself again in the loss of, of his son and his wife. And then he still pulls it off. Even though he's old, he uses his experience and his, his expertise to pull off a win with his new allies, which were awesome. And at the end, it felt like it felt like a proper send off. The man has finally, he's had one last adventure and you know what? He's back to being, he's still Indiana Jones. It doesn't matter how old he is. He's still Indiana Jones, but this was it. And this was good to be for it to be done. You get the sense in universe that other adventures could happen in the future. I think at least that's the feeling I walked away with Dial of Destiny with. But I agree with you, Stephen. I think what sets Dial of Destiny apart from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is that Indy gets an emotional arc. And he also gets to be saved in a way that's different. That reminds me of what you see in like how he relates to Marion in the Raiders Lost Ark movie. What Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character gets to do for him in the most recent installment. <laughs> what Wombat gets to do. Yeah. Oh, well, I also really like... I, I think if they were to ever consider going back to this universe and having new adventures... I think we've really set the 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 story has really set up Wombat to be the new, and if we see Indy, it'll be in a mentor capacity only, if I, at all. I think if you bring well, he Harrison Ford, I think in one of the interviews said something to the effect that this is my last Indiana Jones film. I'll not be tempted to do another. If you're going to bring back a mentor, please cast Kihei Kwan and bring back Short Round. That'd be cool I, too. I would. I'd be cool. I would I'd see that in a heartbeat. That's one of the reasons oh I want to go back and watch Crit King, uh, Temple. Uh, it was because of t- Timmy, Tim, Teddy, Teddy. Thank you. Yeah, I want to see because that was one of the comments I think I made to you during the movie. Was I? I feel like they treated Teddy better than they treated Short Round from a script writing point. Mm-hmm. But I haven't watched Temple in so long that I'm I'm not sure I could, I feel super confident in that statement. So I want to go back and rewatch it because, yeah, especially with Kihei Kwan's new resurgence, his fame from from Temple. I want to I want to really look at. At some point, on my own, me maybe even just look at how Temple treated Short Round as the as the child character, and how Dial of Destiny treated Teddy as the child character. Because I feel in the movie theater, I felt like Teddy got more, he got a better cut than Short Round did. 
my brain went to cart before the horses mainly because I think it is a character that kind of climbs or crawls or finds his way underneath all the horses in a covered wagon in an old movie is what inspired Indy going under the truck in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And before we go any further on Dial, let's go back. Let's talk Raiders. Let's talk about what makes a really strong Indiana Jones film and then kind of go through these, if you guys will indulge me, kind of by the numbers. Let's look at where all of the movies succeed, where some of the shortcomings might be, and then once we've gone through the previous four, check in on Dial of Destiny and see how it stacks up. I think, at least for my for my own personal perspective here, I think it's closer to the films of the 80s than a lot of people are giving it credit for. It, it landed really, really well, I, especially with me. I completely agree. Let's consider... Raiders and each subsequent film kind of looking at seven different areas. Good. First, just the overall story, the structure of from outline to screen. What is this story trying to tell us? What elements and themes does it bring to the table? Kind of taking the broad view first and how to what degree does it succeed in what it's trying to do? Artifacts and lore. Indiana Jones is after something. How significant is that to the story? And how are those elements used in the movie? Allies and love interests. Some combination of that is in every single movie. We can talk about uh, the friends, the, I'll use the Buffy term, frenemies, uh, as well as, then their own category, iconic villains in so many different places and amazing performances there as well. Then franchise tropes and staples because there are some things that happen repeatedly in Indiana Jones films and how do they use them? How do they remix them as they continue through the sequels? Uh, talk about the effects, uh, whether we are lauding the practical effects from the 80s or talking about the overuse of CGI and Crystal Skull. And then, of course, uh, so many of Steven Spielberg's works are improved by the masterwork of John Williams. So we'll talk about the music and then go through kind of if we want to do, I guess if the end result will be like the highest score a movie could get would be 70 if we go 10 out of 10 in every category. Uh, and we do look at Raiders as a perfect movie. Let's uh, talk about the story of the film, the chase for the Lost Ark. I mean, it is an unbelievable adventure and starting point to be set upon for all of us as viewers. I mean, you set the bar really, really high when you're going after the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is, you know, that's, that's significant to two-thirds of the world's population. That's sig seriously significant to nearly two-thirds of the world's population. That's a big deal. You're coming out with heavy hitter artifact. And... In Raiders, it's pretty central to the story. Like mm. it, the story doesn't track without that artifact. It couldn't really have been about anything else. Well, and I think where it's located plays... Like, having it in Egypt, that's like... Egypt is the iconic archaeological place. You know, yep. pyramid digs and the digs for the pharaoh's treasure and curses and stuff like right. that. Like, it... It just tickles the brain of, you know, everyone's imagination having, you know, yeah. oh, I'm going to search for this mystical lost artifact in the lands of Egypt, in the hot desert, in the sand. And that choice of setting also sets up for Indy to spend this movie basically going, this is the only one that takes him, I think, all the way around the planet. Because he starts out in the U.S., or well, he starts out in South America, obviously, goes back home, then goes west to get to Nepal to recruit Marion. And then from there on to Egypt and the Mediterranean and so on. And then at that point, they're heading back to the U.S. from Europe. Yeah. So just we get so many amazing locales, 
and we get the establishment of so many of again these these tropes and these ideas that we've grown to know and love the, the map the, yep <laughs> following the red line on the map from place to place uh, and also go, featured yes. in the muppet movies <laughs> yes so many of these iconic films get remixed in different places like i i uh, will of course at this point give some love to uh, Weird Al Yankovic, because at the start of his movie, UHF, they parodied the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they even parodied it in the trailer for UHF. So when a trailer came on, you wouldn't be sure if it was the Weird Al movie or Last Crusade, because they came out in the same year. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just everything from establishing the tense and uneasy relationships that Indy has with his allies, from the betrayals at the beginning to his dynamic with Marion... Uh, to having the villain be kind of, or at least there's many secondary villains, but the main villain, Belloc, being, I think they even kind of reference like a, like a shadowy version of yourself. He yeah, he's, yeah, he's the foil to Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. like directly. I mean, he's an archaeologist. They don't really who doesn't do that in any of the other movies. Or yeah, he's, I think, yeah, he's a standout villain, especially in, you know, the villain of Raiders is standout because Belloc doesn't really actually dislike Indy. He sees Indy and he's like, "You're doing this the the opposite way I would, but we're doing we're, we're trying to accomplish the same thing. I'm just not bound by your odd moralistic view of preserving these things. I'm just working for the highest bidder, and I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to get it." And he has that great scene, Belloc does, where he's he holds out his watch and he says, "What is this? Is a worthless piece of junk? I bought it on the street corner for ten dollars, but if I take it and I bury it in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless." Mm-hmm. And that's what the arc is. He's compare, he, like he compares this little pe- teeny cheap piece of silver to, you know, after X amount of years, it's going to be worth something to somebody. And that's the way he views. That's the way he views archaeology. In a thousand years, even you may be worth something, right? He, and he <laughs> oh, so he makes those jokes bitch. all the time. And Indy like legitimately morally believes that these artifacts have some sort of significance. Even they if belong in a museum, right? Exactly. <laughs> even if he doesn't necessarily believe in the artifact or whatever power it holds, he recognizes that it was important to some large group of people, and it should be preserved. He's usually skeptical about it. He's usually very is, skeptical. <laughs> after so many, <laughs> he's skeptical even until the fifth movie. Yeah. yeah. It, well, in the fifth movie, he's like, I'm willing to believe it after some of the things I've seen. But I'm not sure if I really do believe it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm willing to, to, to venture that maybe it works, but... Man has seen proof of God, <laughs> real magic, yeah, aliens. He's like, oh, ah. He's like, eh, I'm a man of science. How are you still a skeptic? You He's seen a magical bridge. That bridge, though, should be in a museum. Yeah. Well, and they do an amazing job in the, in the story of this movie, like, that... The sequence where he gets the mission, where the representatives from Army Intelligence come to the university to recruit him, and you simultaneously get the story of what you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant and specifics about what the mission is, what the mission is likely going to entail, and you also get a personal tie-in with Indy's connection to Abner Ravenwood, which eventually leads to Marion, and so you get just him being drawn in and the audience along with him so effectively. And you also get the cons- I mean, you get the goal of the fact that eventually, like, this is going to go to Marcus and it's going to go to the British Museum. But you also get these wonderful moments after that conversation with Army Intelligence, where Marcus expresses genuine concern and just about the mysteries and the unknowns of the Ark, which is echoed later by Sala and others as we continue through the movie. And they do just an amazing job of, in all of these little moments, telling us. 
again, this is the first time we've gotten to see Indy and just like the little things of like, you know what kind of a cautious guy I am? Throws gun into suitcase. <laughs> it's just like the way that he solves problems and how he's going to go about Doesn't this. You tell know everything you need Marcus to Marcus at one point, oh, you sound like my mother. Yep, he does. <laughs> is that in Raiders or is that? Well, it doesn't matter yeah, when he does that. He's a smart guy, but he doesn't plan well. No, he does not. <laughs> what truck? Yeah. He makes yeah. it up as he goes. He does. That also makes for some really interesting action as we go through. I mean, he shows up at Marion's tavern in Nepal with with no plan. He's just like, oh, look, I need this thing. I'm going to get it from you. And it's like, she hates your guts, dude. What do you, what do you think? How do you think this is going to go? What ends up happening? The tavern burns down. It has been closer to probably 20 years than 10 since I watched these. But I remember watching some of the making of, because again, so many of these films that were put out on DVD in the early 2000s, whether it's Lord of the Rings, so Star Wars. They'd, so yeah, making of and behind the scenes things. stuff from Lucasfilm. And I'm pretty sure the dialogue sequence and the arguments in the in the tavern between Marion and Indy was the audition sides. Ah, so let's go through and figure out okay sense. who is going to play this character. Who, who we're trying to find the right Indiana Jones. They've they've got tape of Tom Selleck, uh, or they have Harrison coming in to audition actresses for Marion. It's like he's in their system. He's a friend. He's, he's helping them out, but hadn't gotten cast yet. Mm. Uh, or and then I think I also remember that Spielberg talking about like. There was maybe like a Ravenwood Drive or a street of some kind where he's like, okay, well, she's going to be called Marion. What's her last name? But you remember seeing that, just thinking it was a really beautiful sounding word or name. And so there we have the creation of that character. And just so much of what comes out of the movie builds out of that sequence. And Marion remains one of the most iconic and one of the greatest indie allies and and love interests and really just... She's the best yeah. one. She's I mean, best. like, as far as love interests go, she's the one that lasts the longest. Because then she shows up in the fourth and the fifth movie. Right. No, she's her, the most important indie. Karen Allen and John Reese Davies, the only ones who have been in a majority of the movies other than um, Harrison. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, Marion is, she had, they had to get that right. And I think they, they knocked it out of the park with the casting and just, she has no time for indie's bullshit mm-hmm. ever. And it makes me very happy. She doesn't have time for anyone's bullshit. Other, <laughs> she's yeah, spunky. She's very, and it's great. Yeah. Or, or just like have it, I mean, just within the first minute of that interaction just clocking him across the face telling him to come back tomorrow for the piece and she's wearing it yep <laughs> has the headpiece around the, See the tomorrow, Indiana around her Jones. Neck. yeah uh, it's just so good and well okay why and while we're in that sequence i mean we are not thirsty i mean just <sighs> toth's introduction he's he's terrifying oh my goodness they're just well, i'm saying they cast they creepy. cast the right guy because yeah, he looks man. creepy. He's very creepy looking. Paul Freeman should have gotten so much more work than he did in his career. That's Belloc. I mean, he, yeah. he does a phenomenal job. I thought, yeah. You have... Sure. Uh, also, while we're on the subject of uh, British actors uh, who were in this, the fact that Alfred Molina is Satipo in the intro. Mm-hmm. Adios, senor, throws down the whip and then gets killed by the same spike trap that got yep. Forrestal. It's like, okay, we we have yeah, connections there. And Spider-Man's then... Doc <laughs> And then you Indiana have the Jones. likes of, I was just looking at his name, Ronald Lacey as Toad. And he is terrifying. He also pops up in a very distant shot, but he's also in Last Crusade because they cast him as Heinrich Himmler. So oh, yeah. He's in, so he's in both of sense. those movies and in both playing a Nazi. And if you want to talk about kind of getting typecast for that, Wolf Collar, uh, who plays Diedrich, who's kind of the tertiary antagonist behind those other two, uh, oh, the other officer? Yeah, yeah. The, the the German commanding officer that isn't Toth. Uh, 
shows up in of all places he's one of the germans at the table in a sequence in the wonder woman film from 2017 so yeah you talk about being typecast in a certain in a certain role yeah uh, (laughs) a very very easily done so we have who was the who's the actor that was in um valkyrie that was also oh yep just i do not have his name in German time. officer, German. Oh, I know exactly. Freshman, who it was. yeah. He's the is the German officer at the beginning of the movie uh, for Dial of Destiny. He's also the German at the beginning of um, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yes, the one he that is. they're attacking. Yep. He's the same. Gets cast. He's the as Baron. A, yeah, as the I Baron. am going to surrender. Yep. Yep. He gets cast as a German bad guy a lot. Hmm. He is German. <laughs> he looks like a German bad guy. Well, it helps when you are German. Yeah. Thomas Kretschmann. While we are talking uh, about Raiders major characters. Uh, that are introduced in the movie, and we've kind of gone our primary, secondary, and tertiary, covering the villains. Let's talk about Sala. John Reese davies is absolutely Davies. incredible. He's one of the best things in the Indiana Jones films in general, in my opinion. One of the things that I think I like the most about Sala is how joyful he is all the time. Even when they're like... He's bombastic. He's big, bombastic, but he's also just really happy. Even when they're about mm-hmm. to die, he's in a really good mood, which is weird. And that man has gratitude in his life. Yeah. He does. Yeah. He's got a bunch of kids. He's got a big family. He loves it. And he's a digger. Like, that's his job. He's a professional digger at the moment. When we meet him in Raiders, it's like, well, I'm digging for the Germans because that's who's hiring. He's also quick thinking. Like, Very. with how quickly the monkey was eating the dates that were poisoned. And he <laughs> yeah. midair grabs it and Bad prevents dates. Indy from also being poisoned. Yeah. That's a- speedy. He's a man of many talents. He's a very observant individual and just, you see, he rescues Cindy so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, w- I wonder if you can do the song because that I was appreciating the way that sequence was shot on the most recent rewatch because he, go, once they realize the Germans are digging in the wrong place and he kind of steps out of frame and you hear him singing and you hear him stop, meaning he just saw the dead monkey on the floor. Was it, and is it then the British comes, soul? Is, a, is, is it the same song? Yeah, it's, it's oh. a faster one. I mean, the monk of the sea. Yeah, yeah that's right. I am the monk of the sea. And then he stops. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I, it's really hard to catch what the words are in that. But I love that they bring his singing into the, all the way into the fifth movie. Yeah. He sings in every movie for a little bit, mm-hmm. which is great because Jonathan Rice davies apparently has a semi-decent voice. He sings quite well. Uh, but they bring the same song. Yeah. When, oh. when he sees Indian Mirian off, yeah, Marian. On his yeah. on his Marion. I always want to say Miriam. Yeah. I don't know why. Marion. Marion. When, when he sees Indian Marion like off mm-hmm. on his good friend's ship, he sings the A British Soul. And he sings the And when at the end of Dial of Destiny, he sings it again. It was great. Yeah. I was very happy to hear that again. And in a kind of very similar context. Well, because it's right before a callback to the then the conversation interaction with Marion. Which and was Indy perfect. On, on the bed, on the so ship happy. and Raiders, and then in the apartment at the end of Dial. You know, it's, that was so cute. It it's so, so sweet. sweet. Mm-hmm. It was so sweet. It was so good. Raiders of the Lost Ark has something for everybody. There is a nice bit of sweetness threaded in that movie, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Indy stops being indie for yeah. a minute and just relaxes <laughs> as much as he can after getting the crap beat out of him for like three consecutive days. Well, God damn it, Indy, where doesn't it hurt? <laughs> Here! <laughs> well, and, and Raiders and Dial are the only movies where you see him get shot. I mean, yeah, he's like, because the gets, hit he takes in the truck in Raiders is That's pretty awful. rough. Yeah. Yep. He's like, well, he says to, he says to Wombat, 
He's been shot nine times. Including once by your well, father. Including once by your father. Yep. We've seen two of them. We've seen, yeah, we see two on screen. I'm like, man, nine times. Where else did when else did you get shot? I That's mean, what. There's so much richness put into these movies. Even though I haven't seen it, I can imagine seven other adventures. Oh, that for sure. Would be going on, or any of the things he was doing in World War II. Because mm-hmm. well, uh, that made was made pretty clear that he was yeah. doing other stuff for the for the American government during World War II as well. Until and, he's up to things and merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. I mean, there were like young Indiana Jones books and different things I remember yep. reading when I was a kid. I mean, there was an entire like young Indiana Jones series in the '90s. Or, and, and yeah, I don't remember that being very good no no, no i, I, I it quality had a range harrison ford was in that by the way he was he yeah, was for one yeah. episode huh. yep. didn't yeah. know that in a cabin in wyoming and playing the saxophone reminiscing about the 20s <laughs> i well, again but i i don't recall i have not actually seen the piece but i well, watched huh. again everybody's doing video essays and indiana jones related content with dial of Destiny right coming yeah, out, and someone broke down the the one piece of young indiana jones that harrison was actually in huh. i didn't realize and Raiders, of course, he loves the character. Yeah, gives us yeah, sure. so many of the indie tropes and staples that we grow to love. The, well, it, set, the, it sets yeah. him up. Yep. It's the first one. The being terrified of snakes. The <laughs> he has lead. a vulnerability. Yes. He's a man like anybody else. Everybody's scared of something. His just happens to be snakes. It's which like is it's so like fun. a terrifying, petrifying fear. Mm-hmm. Like he just he shuts down, mm-hmm. and it's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. But with him doing so many outlandish things, I think that grounds him a little bit more. Yeah, I, supp- I suppose so. Well, it makes him he's not it makes him not like a comic book hero. Yeah. Like you could visualize Indy in the real world. I think everything about everything that makes Indiana Jones successful, especially looking at Raiders, it's not improbable. It's not impossible. It's mm-hmm. improbable. But it's not impossible. Somebody could have pulled this off. It's like if you if you go back and you read some of the stories out of World War II of the guys who won the Medal of Honor, the things they did improbable is is the least is the most simple way to describe it. Impossible would make more sense, and that's where I think you get some of this idea where like, Indy could have happened. He could be real. He's one tough son of a gun, but he could be real. They get less probable as the movies go on. Yeah, though. Raiders is probably the most. Raiders feels the most grounded. Yeah, the most reality grounded. And then Temple happens. <laughs> we'll get to that. Well, I can think of, and please add to my list, as I'm kind of typing this up as we want to talk about some of the things that make these tropes that keep popping up. You have the, the fear of snakes. You have his uh, resourcefulness and weapons and just like elements of his kits, the, the significance of the hat, the whip, his the, gun, the gun at the belt. and yeah. a whip. That's his, his, that is his go-to choice. That his khaki gravity shirt. and sass. Yeah. Oh, the khaki, khaki shirt, shirt also. Yeah. Thick khaki canvas pants. Mm. Also, on the sass point, and, uh. and, we'll, and we'll get to Last Crusade, Like I did not process until this most recent viewing when I was watching Last Crusade to what extent Henry Jones Sr. <laughs> talks the Nazis in every scene he's in. It's it is amazing. So good. <laughs> Goose-stepping morons such as yourselves who try reading books instead of burning them. Yeah. It's yeah. just done so well. <laughs> On that note, being a professor of archaeology, do we get to see Indy at work and how that uh, – and, and has the connection to the university and the museums and so In forth? In every movie, right? 
except for Temple. Except for Temple. Yep. You don't see him be Professor yep. in, so in Temple. He's sexier in Temple. <laughs> and and that white dinner jacket. I agree. They were, no, I they agree. Were, they were trying to get him to channel. He's like he's like noirish and No, yeah. you know what they were trying to get him to be? Humphrey Bogart. Oh, I was thinking James Bond. But yes Humphrey Bogart yes. works. Yeah. No, Very. Absolutely. That's yeah, no, you're right. Rick, white dinner jacket mm-hmm. with the rose on the lapel, Rick. Because they were trying to do a different type of iconic intro. Yeah. Like how do we But you know yeah. what it feels like? It feels like a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And actually come to think of it, that is another trope that every movie has. They wait for the face reveal. <laughs> we don't see Indy turn his head until after he's done the crack of the whip in Raiders. We don't see him his face until he sits down at the table across from Laoche and Temple. We don't see his face as a young man in the prologue of Last Crusade until he's leaning down and looking at the guys who are going after the cross. Have of the cross of Cor- Cor- and Cor- even and then, in that, you know, mm-hmm. he gets that, you know, current face reveal when they like yep. flash forward and he's got he's a sack over his head when they pull beat him up the in the yeah. boat. Yep, and then and he's in the trunk of a car, thrown to the ground, and then he puts on the hat and crystal skull. Uh-huh. So they all have a delayed and here is Indiana so and then Dial. in Dial of Destiny he wakes up from a hangover he's he emerges hungover. from shadow though doesn't he when like his face is first revealed because mm-hmm. I remember being like oh he looks young oh yes mm-hmm. yes in 1940 in, in the yes. 1944 yeah. bit but yeah. it opens in, in 1944 it does yeah. Yeah. Four, doesn't yeah. it yeah, yeah. for sure I just like, you <laughs> that actually reminds me of another one that this is more of this is less of a trick of a trope of the storytelling and more just the look or the visuals of the films because all four of them have the Paramount logo becoming a mountain of some kind, or in the case of Crystal Skull, a mountain into a molehill. Yeah. But with Dial Destiny, I thought of this on the first rewatch and then kind of processed it again when we saw it together, and I realized, huh, this is the first Indiana Jones movie produced by the Walt Disney Company, and instead of opening with a shot of a mountain, it opens in a castle. Welcome to the House of Mouse. Yeah, and I hope you like hanging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did remind me so of the Haunted Mansion. The tie-in to the producing studio definitely still there, even That's if they did funny. not keep the mountain elevator. Good observation, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are Fun. so many subtle ways in which Dial of Destiny is a love letter to how these movies work. Uh, other tropes that come out to or that come to mind immediately are the battle with the brute. There's usually some imposing figure or fighter that's working for There's the There's usually someone who, who's who freakishly in, large. Yeah, who Indy or someone has to go toe-to-toe with at some point. It's a mini-boss. Yeah. Mini-boss. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's somebody in every movie that is just a behemoth of a man, yep. and someone gets to fight that one. And then your third act climax, the artifact takes out the villains, or villain, mm. in some respect. Yeah. Every Except, single movie. Eh, it happens really. in Crystal Skull. It really? feels forced in Crystal Skull, but it happens in Crystal Skull. <laughs> Is it the artifact? Doesn't the alien in Crystal Skull... She gets sucked into the yeah. Vortex she gets incinerated and then but her dust is brought into the But is it because of the knowledge the that she gives her too too much space knowledge? Yep. That's yeah. See, that's the problem with Crystal Skull. It's <laughs> we're it's not a, there yet. I know. <laughs> we gotta move this along. Okay. Well, then let's go. Oh, well, before okay. So final two because I feel like with Raiders these are pretty easy to to pick out and point to some of the most iconic moments: effects and music. 
Yeah. The practical effects in Raiders are absolutely insane. The spirits coming out of the arc at the end and what they were able to do with the deaths of all each of the antagonists. <laughs> melting people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the melting face with the wax head that the, was the mock-up for Toth and then played in high speed. Oh, the sucking so the air good. out of the mock-up head they had for Diedrich. <laughs> and then the exploding head for Belloc that they had to put a pillar and fire in front of just to get a PG rating. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that this film does well. And then, Caleb, you were talking about the map room. I mean, that visual moment is so iconic with just the use of lighting and how you see th- everything revealed until we get that beam that goes through the staff of Ra and shows the location of the Lost Ark. And there's just so much, like, just visual... Mis- Actually, I want to reference this before we dive more into the effects and music. Uh, one of the many pieces of Indiana Jones content I've consumed in the last month uh, talked about a cut... Of, Indi- of Raiders of the Lost Ark that was put together by Steven Soderbergh and it's in black and white. All the original sound is removed and just replaced with synth music just to have some sort of just energy moving the movie along and it was done to just showcase how does Spielberg and everyone involved in this movie, how do they use light and shadow and blocking hmm. and movement and just all these things that you can show in camera and even with its color and its music gone, there's so many visual elements of Raiders that are so strong. I feel like the movie would be a little bit less impressive without well, the music. With the music, we're it's still, like, that's important. a pretty yeah. stunning way, though, to speak to how beautifully it's filmed. But, I mean, that music carries so much of what we've come to understand and know uh, of Indiana Jones. You take that away, and I'm not sure I'd be able to sit through it. Well, they had. There's one one of the cool ones that they talked about is, is, is a conversation that we already discussed. The uh, oh, and goodness, all the love to Dan and Elliot. Marcus Brody is fantastic. Although he's used completely differently in each of the movies, he's an ally and helps with the setup and helps with the establishment of the lore and the relationships and Raiders. And he is comedy in Last Crusade, and it's amazing how he's able to do both very well. The Last Crusade is yeah funnier than the ones that came before it. That is true. It is, that is true. It is, but it's. It's funny in in a way that doesn't necessarily detract from the gravity of the situation. No, it doesn't. But it's it, just it, the it, characters it, are yes. funnier with each other. Like there's mm-hmm. more joking and Josh. And there's and, a lot more like scenes played for comedy. There is. That's yeah, true. there's some there's some scenes that are actually kind of sort of slapstick. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Head it, for the fireplace, Dad. What? Dad. What? <laughs> yeah. Dad. What? And I don't think Raiders had nearly as many of those. No, it's no. pretty serious straight through. Yeah. Um, there are things that are incidentally funny. Funny. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Marion turning the, the the mirror and smacking Indy in the head <laughs> makes me laugh every time. Well, and even the moments that look like they could be played for comedy, uh, like the whole scene where she's trying to drink Belloc under the table. She's using the clothes she changed out of to hide the knife, which she then grabs to try to get away before Toth shows up. Like just there's so many moments of like staging and blocking. Uh, the conversation I, I wanted to mention with Indy and Brody in his house when he's getting ready. I think the, what the Soderbergh cut showed was I think the camera only moves like six times. Yeah. Like the, there's like, there's very little changes in, in like where and how it's being spaced and blocked out. And blocking was something we talked about when, uh, two years ago when I talked with Jane and Don because Hitchcock used blocking very effectively in Vertigo in one of its most significant scenes. And it was definitely mirrored and reflected back to us in Last Crusade. So it just, there's so many aspects of this from just the practical effects and the fact of just all of the creatures that they bring in and had on set. Tarantulas. For yes. Yeah. The, from the 
they had it, these all spiders. these tarantulas. None of them are moving. Well, they're all male. They bring in a female tarantula. They all start moving. Okay, we're good. That's, and I think there was a shot of uh, Spielberg at one point in the behind the scenes. I can't remember what animal he was talking to, but you hear him going, it's like, you're not moving. You're ruining my movie. <laughs> you have the tarantulas. You have the snakes. I, it just... So actual many snakes. Yeah. Actual was there? So I, I do you got to imagine the scene when Indy first goes into the area with the pit of snakes and you see like snakes just coming out of the wall. So does that mean there's another guy or gal behind the wall? Like their job Feeding that day was to feed through. snakes. <laughs> Probably. You, that's why. What a life. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do at work today? Oh, I pushed a bunch of snakes through, through a wall. A <laughs> <laughs> into a wall for yeah. a movie. You had to put them in maybe like yeah. um, what mice run between when you have them as pets. Oh, know, like a maze? Like tube. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Shove snakes yeah. in there. Well, and just the handlers and then or, or the or the simple technique of just putting a pane of glass between Indy and the cobra. Because they had a real cobra yeah. that close to Harrison Ford for that shot. Uh-huh. But they put a barrier between the two of them that you wouldn't That's be good. able to see in camera. Yeah. So, Raiders. What mm-hmm. number ranking do we want to give it? Well, let's go through each of these one by one. Out... Out of 10, the story of the film, uh, 10 out of 10. Yeah, pretty much. Any disagreement there? There's really nothing you can do to say, well, this could have been better. It's like, no, I don't think it could. Artifact and lore, the significance of the arc, and just, I mean, as far as MacGuffins go and the role it plays in the story, I think, again, 10 out of 10. Raiders is the perfect movie. I think it's neat how the bad guy burns the top of the staff on his hand at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Well, because that's just an interesting way, yeah. Yeah. Well, in, they've only got one side, but revealing They're how they got the it with the with place. the Nazi salute. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so, so many good. wonderful layers to that. It's not how that would have worked, but that's okay. <laughs> or you have, and then allies and love interests. Uh, given this is our first introduction to Marion, to Sala, to Brody, Belloc and Toth are terrifying. I, I mean, there's yeah. yeah I all think the characters, this is the iconic one. This yeah. yeah. We are once again giving this a 10 out of 10. Villains, as previously mentioned, well, I guess, okay, again, different categories. Allies, love, interests, and then the villains. I think we also give it a 10, yeah, out, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. I don't, yeah. I mean, this sets the bar. This this creates the formula. You got creepy Nazi guy in black leather and anti-Indiana Jones. Works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. Well, and the our final items of tropes, effects, and then a 10 out of 10 for music, which as we go from Raiders to Temple... Why don't we talk a little bit about some of the light motifs here? Yeah. So, I mean, this is not the first time Spielberg had worked with Williams. The first time Spielberg worked with Williams was on Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, John Williams. <laughs> I, there's something. John Williams has had a career that's spanned, you know, 50 years. The man is 92, One. 91. He's 91. 91. Um, he came out of retirement to do the new movie. Well, he's never really retired, but he actually <laughs> went to the soundstage and directed the orchestra for the recordings for the new movie. Um, but he's he's a he's the master of 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 leitmotif or using a, a small note pattern to rep, to represent specific characters or places. Uh, Indiana Jones is ba 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 ba. That's it, and he, that just gets what's variants. Da 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 da. Aww. Yep. That's Miriam. Um, Look at these smart gentlemen. So, okay. but like yeah. Indiana Jones, the, the Raiders, yeah. the Raiders march is just taking that ba 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 bum and putting it to a march and playing around with that theme. And he does the exact same thing in Star Wars. He does the exact same thing in almost every movie he writes. Mm-hmm. But it works so well 
especially for Indiana Jones, because it really drives home who's on the screen, where you're at, who the bad guys are. And then he starts playing around with, okay, so if these are the characters in the sc- uh, on the screen, these are the themes that I get to use in my orchestration. So you'll hear the uh, the Nazi themes. It's like this really nasty dark horn thing going on with the Indiana Jones theme sprinkled in around it. So you know, okay, so Indy and the Nazis are happening and there's a fight and... Mm-hmm. So like you can listen to just the 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 music of Raiders and get an idea of what the story is without seeing any of it, mm-hmm. and that's because of this his use of these themes. So then when he moves on and he's subsequently hired back to do all of them because he wrote music for all of them, he just gets to introduce some new themes across it, but then go back to old ones. Marion's theme turns from specifically for her into the theme of Indy's love whomsoever that might be or love lost as we see in the dial of destiny which is i think his strongest character scene and we'll, we'll talk about yeah but um you hear the indiana jones the raiders march just becomes the indiana jones theme it's bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum. right great awesome we all know what that is and so it moves throughout the course of the movie those themes get to be recycled mm. and used to really care help carry the story along in a way that leaves the audience recognizing everything that's going on in a completely different part of your brain, which is part of what makes these movies stick so well. Because yeah. well, the, the music is so integrally tied yeah. to the action. And the repetition is so key, because in addition to obviously Indy's theme and Marianne's and the Divine theme and Raiders, they all keep coming back and in various ways, because with the Divine theme, like in the map room, sounds very triumphant. When the Nazis have the arc right before they're going to do the ritual at the end of the film, those two themes are kind yeah, of blended really together. And then it comes back one last time at the end as the arc is being put into storage and will once again become the lost arc. And with Temple of Doom, I mean, you get very dark and sinister themes with the descent down into yeah. the tomb it's, or into the temple itself. But then you also have one of the most triumphant themes across the entire franchise, which for lack of a better term for it, I would almost call like the fortune and glory theme. You hear it as Indy is talking about that before they're going to reach the palace. And then it's of course in the ending sequence uh, and in the, the final credits rolling as we see the village and Indy and Willie Scott. And yeah, let's talk temple of doom because for what a while, a this movie. was the stepchild of the franchise. Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> for years, this was the stepchild of the franchise until yeah, we got Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Temple of Doom is no longer the... St- like, it might be my second favorite now. And as really? A, yeah, and, as, and growing up with a strong love of Last Crusade kind of blows my mind that, that I would say that, but I, I feel a stronger connection to Temple now than I did as a kid, for sure. Like I said earlier, it scares me, and I don't like to be scared. It really is quite creepy. However, yeah, it's a really enjoyable movie, but it's just it's it's vastly different from Raiders because Raiders has the the arc being a divine instrument or an arc uh, uh, an artifact of religious intent um, for the Judeo Christian world. You get into the temple, and it's these the Shankara stones. Yeah, well, it's still religious. It's just for it's Hinduism. Yeah, yeah. As far as just the swings the Temple of Doom takes. Like, just the simple nature of, all right, the sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it is set one year prior. 
they was make it, it a prequel. Was it set one year prior? Yes. That's with the so reason weird. being, they didn't want to have it be another fight between Indy with the Nazis. And I think they probably felt, okay, once he's fought the Nazis, they got over that. that's <laughs> going to keep, yeah, that's going to be an ongoing thing. It's like, so if we don't want that conflict to be a part of this, we need to go backwards, not forwards. I can understand that decision. Yeah, but they, they're already avoiding the Nazis by putting it in uh, India and in... Uh, and in Shanghai. And in, in Shanghai. Yeah, in, for in sure. Asia. This is like, well, you, you've effectively avoided the Nazis. So I think putting it one year prior doesn't actually really make any difference in avoiding Nazis because in 1938, is that what it's set? Uh, thir- okay, so... 38 or 37. T- Temple of Doom is 35. Raiders is 36. 35. Crusade is 38. Man, and it's all pre-World War II. That's so yep. weird. And the way that... the One thing that I will say for Temple of Doom that can be interesting, I did not do this with our most recent rewatch with Melissa, but I have done it in the past. Sometimes when I do rewatches... I put that one first and I watch them in timeline chronological order. And it does like, especially if you are a big fan of last crusade and not so much temple of doom, then it does feel like the movies are getting better <laughs> as you go along. <laughs> you get temple of doom out of the way. Then you get the iconic, the iconography of Raiders. And it does, it does feel out of place. Like in some respects, it's darker. It's got all these horror elements to it. Um, I mean, it there's comedy there, number? but it's yeah. It opens with a musical <laughs> number. Yeah, anything. It just goes does in weird. <laughs> anything goes in Chinese. It's very strange to listen to when I've done that show. <laughs> but that's oh okay. Well, and, and you have an opportunity to again, like, explore a different part of the completely different part of the world. Because with the exception of Nepal. In Raiders, which you're only there for one set piece, right? But the tavern. This is the only movie that goes to Asia. True. The rest of them don't. Or India, for that matter. Yeah. And you have just the opportunity to explore new territory, to introduce new characters with the likes of Willie Scott and Short Round, to have a completely different set of antagonists with the story of the Thuggy Colt. Like Temple of Doom, this is where I would give it the highest marks compared to sequels that would come after. It's the only other one that feels self-contained. Yeah. You can watch Temple of Doom... And it stands without having to go, oh, that's a reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Because there are elements like where Kingdom of the Crystal Skull falls on its face and where Last Crusade stumbles maybe a bit of just trying to remix Raiders. Temple of Doom is not doing any of that. And for just trying to be its own thing, I love it. There's a lot of bravery in that. Yeah. Take new risks. And looking at the writers, like they had a different right. While there are some people who have returned or been influential to the story time and time again, like George Lucas is referenced multiple times, the writing team and the screenplay writers are different for every film. And it shows just to what extent they were unafraid to take it in a different direction. To some extent, that makes sense when you it's 15 years between movies Mm and 19 (laughs) years between movies. Yeah, for sure. But for those first three, I don't know. There wasn't that much time between. There wasn't a ton of time between them. One of the things I do really like about Temple, though, is I think the the effects just took it up a step, actually, from Raiders. The minecart chase is incredible. The minecart chase is yeah. crazy. Even what well, has some really good action set pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little ridiculous, but like you know, the, <laughs> the raft out of the plane in yeah. the beginning, the bridge great. at the end, the I mean, bridge the, at the end, yeah. Bridge, but I mean, even just yanking a dude still beating heart out of his chest. <laughs> That's Golly pretty man. impressive. It, it goes so hard. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Or just, or 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 the fact that Indy gets turned to the side of the Thuggy Cult through one of their rituals, and yeah. Short Round has to bail him out of it. Uh, like, like there are just so recalibration. many things. Yeah. What? Yeah, I hit him really hard on the head. I I burned him with a torch. I mean, it's yep. just it's a like just the 
elements of again the lore and the the storytelling and the different aspects is that you learn about the temple as you can have this descent into darkness i mean you feel it every step of the way yeah my one thing is is that this the temple doesn't feel quite as believable as raiders just like if i were to tell you that this actually happened if i were to tell you that raiders actually happened i think that would be a more believable story than me telling you that the events for in temple of the, the temple of doom are live actual events and part of that again like let's think about those human story elements like who is who are we seeing this through and who are some of the most who are the some of the most focused on players in the movie like i i do love like especially in great it's easy to say this post kihei kwan renaissance i love that they put a hey we have a kid getting to travel with indiana jones like it almost feels like batman and robin and the logic for creating robin originally with the character (laughs) of short round the step down, given this does immediately follow Raiders, is compared to the likes of Belloc and Toth, Molaram feels almost cartoonishly evil. Yeah. And Kate Capshaw well, and there's is no really Scottish. Connection there. Yeah. And like Kate, in the first movie, mm-hmm. there was a there was a personal connection between the villains. Like especially yeah. between Belloc and Indy. They already knew each other. They had this rivalry. Yeah, that's fair. Indy and, and Molaram are aware of each other's existence for a day. Yeah, there's no there's no personal stake there. Yeah, that's fair. And Kate Capshaw is a step down from Karen Allen. It just, I mean, she plays Willie, the role brilliantly, but... Willie Scott is screaming her way through the movie. It's so like, which, again, a knock on the film. Also, Willie Scott did end up marrying Steven Spielberg, and I believe is Mrs. Spielberg to this day. So... Like hey, wonderful you know, connections and she does do a good job with the part but people for yeah. years would look at short rounds and Willie Scott and just go oh indie supporting cast compared to the previous films is yeah, nowhere near as strong I mean because you do you feel the absence of Mary and you feel the ab- absence of Sala which may be the other reason it makes sense to have it be a prequel because then people will be asking oh why aren't they on his team well it's before the re- events yeah, of Raiders I, of the Lost Ark I get that I get I, I kind of I like this now I like this now. It makes you appreciate the other ones more. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing to appreciate about Temple of Doom, the gap between Indiana Jones movies here was only three years, and that number is not getting any shorter. (laughs) In fact, it's going to get significantly longer. (laughs) It was 89 for for Last Crusade and then 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 08. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. 19 years. Yeah. And I, I understand where you're coming from, though. Like, the it is hard to forge a connection to this movie in childhood because oh, it, sure. it is it's unabashedly not, terrifying and yeah it just does not does not hit the same way that raiders or last too many bugs do. 100% all right it's been a, it, like i said i've seen the movie once and it was you know a long time ago but it doesn't my memory is that it didn't feel as nice as mm-hmm. the other ones it felt meaner yeah, yeah. and i don't it know is. if that was I because of indy's relationship with willie scott maybe i seem to remember that being very antagonistic oh extremely it doesn't. It didn't feel like it had as much heart as no. some of the other and ones no, did. No, you couple that with just the just the seriously menacing villain and cult. This cult is just so dark. Well, and then it's like they have child slaves. They and do. That's, I mean, you there's, know, there's Nazis are a heavy villain for their own thing, but like they're yeah. kind of played slapsticky in a lot of the movies. Yeah. And, well, and then and granted rescuing all of the children stolen from the village. Of course, then there's an entire white savior thing that I don't think we want to get into. So, I mean, there's elements of Temple of Doom that do not age well. Fair. Why don't we talk about the tropes? The tropes, I mean, it's an Indiana Jones movie. For the most part, it hits all of them. You get the map, you get the uh, you get the great action sequences. You don't really get much of a mission sending what? in Temple. No, you do. Because well, it, co- it comes from the patriarch of the village. 
Yeah, but how did... See, you have to refresh my memory. How does he even end up there? So, uh, from taking a raft out of a crashing plane yeah, down the mountainside like into a river. That's, that's my point. He's not yeah. there intentionally. No. no it, it, that's one of the yeah. biggest differences. Mm-hmm. Where in almost every other movie, mm-hmm. he goes after said MacGuffin very intentionally from the comfort of his place. That said, he gets dropped well, into this one. Well, he does, but then there's an option for comfort that he doesn't take because he's trying to get to Delhi and he even conveys that to the village patriarch and others until it becomes clear with the situation. Why is, is he in Chain High? Uh, he's making a deal with someone who hired him to go after, uh, oh, what is the the remains of... I think this yeah. is the problem with Temple of Doom. Yeah. We ask too many questions. Right. Well, well, I, go back and give it a rewatch. I know, I, mean, I know. Part it of is, it is just yeah, it's fuzzy just, in my memory. Because it basically, it is an attempt to <laughs> conclude a deal that goes spectacularly wrong. He has to escape with the singer and with Short Round. They take a plane that it turns out is owned by the guy who just tried to kill him with the deal that went wrong. <laughs> Which is the plane is, is sabotaged to the point that it's going to crash. They successfully exit the plane, end up in this village. They want to get to Delhi. But then... You still get a call to adventure because instead of going to Delhi, they go to Pancock Palace and are going to figure out what's been going on here and the rest of the movie plays out from there. So that call to adventure is there. And the way and just the the fact that Indy would have the opportunity to not take it and does go to bat for these villagers, goes after the <laughs> artifact and takes it to the thuggy cold. Like the because yeah. this, this is another thing I think we appreciate about Dial of Destiny, especially with the prologue, is just anytime Nazis or villains get an Indies path, they just get trucked, in some cases literally. That's and true. you have just the moments of watching Indy go on this mission, go after this artifact, and while it's for fortune and glory, he ends up doing a lot of good along the way. I I I, I as I on the most recent rewatch in the Kiei Kwan Renaissance, there's so many things about Doom that I appreciate more than I did as a, when I was younger. It is aged well. I do need to rewatch it. I, like I said, I, I intended to rewatch things, but then I, you know, I have well, three kids. Numbers. <laughs> numbers. So <laughs> Temple of Doom. I think the story doesn't come in as high. Probably an eight I, overall. I think which is still pretty good. Yeah, but. I think that's fair. I, well, I, and I think there are again elements of this story that haven't aged well, along with the fact that it has elements baked into it that uh, that just don't resonate as strongly as Raiders did. Yeah. Like, well, and, and this is one of those eight, things really. where it's like you have the unenviable job of following the strongest entry in the franchise. So it is a step down there. Artifacts and lore, the Shankara stones are not going to be as well recognized as the Lost Ark, obviously. And that... It's also not explained as well. No. And, no, and, and it kind of... Because like, you end up with like the cult and their mission... And how it's tied to the stones and and the slaving of the children, like there's, it's it really gets fuzzy. lost in some of those elements. Yeah. It's really fuzzy. Like if, honestly, the artifacts comes in at a five or a six for me. Yeah. I I just gave it. I think a six makes sense. Yeah, yeah. If we're in agreement there. Allies and love interests. <laughs> I I want to give this more points for short round because I, I appreciate him more now than I did. I love short round, but Willie is the most annoying character <laughs> to me, especially. And uh, but for the saving grace of short round, I would say six. Six? Are we allowed to say six? Can I say six? Unless anyone six. wants to argue higher or lower, I think six makes sense to me. All right, villains. I <sighs> gave I gave it a Five. seven or oh, oh, okay. Really? That's fair. Well, well, the thing is, Molaram is pretty much having to do. Well, no, he's not doing everything on his own. He's doing a lot of, but the he's n- there's no clear like <laughs> second in command. Like there's not. 
the dynamics and the power structure in Raiders are very clear. Same with Last Crusade. True. And in Temple of Doom, you have this ambassador, and then you have Molaram, and you have, I mean, just other elements that don't feel as strong. So, I guess, yes, probably a six here as well. I would even go like five because again, there's See, no, like, yeah, there's no personal connection five. to it. Okay. Like he's scary, but he is. But scary is not everything. As from from a from a villain standpoint, there's been a lot of scary villains out there that we all just write off because, mm-hmm. well, you just weren't very effective. Franchise tropes and staples, uh, they're pretty much all here except for the professorship. You have the snakes, you have the weapons and resourcefulness, you have the fact that I love at the end of this one, he goes for a gun to try to shoot the guys like he did in Raiders, and his gun is missing. <laughs> so then he ends up in an actual fight that he wasn't, yeah, he was hoping to avoid. And you also have the artifact taking out the villain as Molaram gets burned by one the last stone and then oh, falls yeah, to his go. death and Indy grabs it. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, and it's all the professor thing. So yeah, yeah, I say like nine. a nine minus the, it is an Indiana Jones movie. You're yeah. going to get all the stuff you want out of it. I don't think it's a step down at all in terms of effects or music. I would leave those as tens. No. I mean, the, the music I think is going to be a 10 almost all the way across the board for me. Cause Williams just, he does what he does. And you know, I mean, Steven Spielberg is the person who convinced George Lucas to hire Williams to do star Wars. Because he had just come off of doing Jaws, and George Lucas was still trying to figure out what they were going to do for music, and Steven Spielberg said, "Hey, check this out." And so instead of going with some new agey space music, quote unquote, went like, went with a big standard Western film orchestra, and we got the score for Star Wars. Then going through these elements piece by piece, like Crusade, I was amazed on this most recent rewatch to what extent it like. So much of it revolves around Henry Jones Sr. Like, it is almost, like, Indiana Jones almost has, like, there's no legacy sequels. Like, like, they don't ever really do a passing of the torch or a change in focus. He's always the main character. And then their sequels are a prequel (laughs) and then an installment that kind of pulls the focus somewhat off of Indy to dedicate a lot of time and energy to his dad. And, and, and the fact that it's like, oh, well, we kind of based this character in James Bond. Can we get the Bond? Can we get Bond? And they got Connery. And, <laughs> and they got he, Bond. And he is, does an incredible job. I mean, just I think, everything yeah. about his character and the way they weave him into the story is so well done. The relationship between Indy and uh, his father, Dr. Henry Jones Sr., carries most of the movie forward. The rest, the story itself is kind of, okay, Quest for the Holy Grail. I can, I can get behind that, but eh. Like in all honesty, in my opinion, it's like well, okay, I this think, is interesting, but yeah. you know, it's half and half what he even goes on the adventure. You know, have to find the Grail and have to find yeah, his dad. He doesn't, he doesn't actually really care much about the Grail. He's going after his dad, yeah, and again, so personal tie and call from a <laughs> well from a benefactor who you would think would be an ally, and then turns out very There's much a lot not of to that. Be. There's a lot of that specifically. Yeah. Backstabbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two of the two of his so-called allies turn out to be Nazis um, through the course of that movie, which is really fun. How do you We're know back to the Nazi. Nazis. It's great. She talks in her sleep. So uncomfortable. <laughs> so great. So You're good. old so enough great. to be her grandfather. I'm a human as the next man. I was the next man. <laughs> <laughs> and during that entire scene, they are not wearing pants because it was way too hot on the set. So it's suits. <laughs> from oh, Europe really? For that Harrison makes it even Sean. funnier. <laughs> but they are not wearing pants. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it must be so embarrassing to be an actor. I will tell you, and this... I don't know. It has no bearing on the scores, but I played a lot of the Lego Indiana Jones uh, video yeah. game on my DS, and uh, The Last Crusade was my favorite of the three movies to play through. It was also harder. I think harder than... No, Temple of Doom was the hardest one. Yeah. 
100%. Are you sure it has no bearing on your scores? We'll see. Can you well, know I, that? I think no, it's fair it that it affects <laughs> scores a little bit. Well, and then it, it speaks to like the fact that they center it around a family dynamic. I mean, you can and you bring back Sala, yeah. and he feels like and, part of the family. And Brody, he is part of the yeah. Family. No, I mean, <laughs> with the exception of well, the the turn the turncoat of Elsa and Donovan, and the dynamic between Elsa and both Joneses, I think, knocks the allied number down a little bit. But that I, oh, she's I an would, ally. Yeah, but I would, yeah, but I would just lower it to a nine. Yeah, well, but, that's she, fair. but she's also the love interest. She One is. Thing it's really interesting together. that she is. She's a villain by halfway through the movie. Yeah, but she's also never really fully a villain. She's and then at the her... end, like she lies, like helps feed into Indy's lie about which cup is the real cup. Yeah, it's she's really kind of confusing, the way that she's written, where her motives are still to this day very, like I'm not clear. Is well, she's she an Nazi? evil Nazi, she but not? she's also an archaeologist, right? And that's that that somehow changes you into not being an evil Nazi? Question mark. And the, but at the end, she's like, she's trying to, she tries to take the grail and leave. And so for the whole, the whole thing was about actually finding the grail for her, I guess. And then that's what causes the, the temple that's been housing the grail to collapse mm-hmm. is that she crosses the seal that the knight told them not to cross. One of the things I think this story, I love the family dynamic and I love the, I love Sean, I love Sean Connery in this movie. It's just so much fun. I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. The story is less believable, even maybe than Temple of Doom. Like if you were to, if you were to tell me that this actually happened, it feels like this one is even less grounded in reality. Do we need like at this point, like if each movie escalates the level of unbelievability, <laughs> then does that mean it's more of an Indiana Jones thing? I think than maybe less that's actually part of it. Yeah, that's fair. Well, and there are, but Raiders feels like the most Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, I know, so. and it's the most believable. <laughs> well, it's st- but it's still it inhabits the space between the material and the supernatural. The fact that these Very artifacts true. that they tap into are going to do something wild, and then as far as the human moments, like as as we started talking about this, and obviously dedicating some time to Connery's performance as Henry Jones Senior, the impact of the line, Indiana, let it go. When he's it's trying big, to yeah. save his son, like between because it's the first time he actually calls him Indiana, Indiana. instead of Junior, <laughs> and it's I know that I have dedicated my life to everything that's about this artifact, and it is not more important than you. Mm-hmm. This is this is still my favorite, and it's so much still my favorite. I think it's also my dad's favorite, but it's so much still yeah, my favorite. It's a father son movie, um, for sure. But Dad's Father's Day gift for me this year was a movie prop replica of the Grail Diary. And it comes with a bunch of inserts that and all, awesome. the pa- all 70 pages that were that are seen in the movie are in it that oh, are recreated. Fun. And There's more in the diary than just the map. Yeah, there's a lot in that diary, actually. It's very cool. So that was his that was his Father's Day gift this year. And uh, I don't know. I, I think story-wise, nine for me, just because Raiders is just that much, a little bit better, in my opinion. The Allies, probably a nine because you've got this flip-floppity ally thing where your allies aren't your allies, but they are your allies. But you brought back Zala. As I'm typing things in, that's where I've got I've got story at nine, artifact. I've got artifacts and lore at ten, just with how well they I mean, build that yeah, up. Yeah, the Holy Connery. Grail is pretty famous. It is pretty yeah. cool. It is. It's a ten. In yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take. They that. are three in questing for the Holy Grail. That's the that's the part that really gets me is that they worked in Crusader Knights and the whole Arthurian <laughs> legend a little bit with the Grail's resting place being housed on the shields of these knights, which is very cool. Going to Venice. One of whom is still alive. I know. <laughs> I mean, just that whole, <laughs> the, that whole dynamic of the end of the movie is just 
kind of blows your mind. I'm like, what have you um, been doing for the there, past four years? There is also, dude? as we talk about, again, just the love letters to every movie, while Temple of Doom was more directly referenced in Dial of Destiny, the prologue of Last Crusade and the conversation with Archimedes in Dial of Destiny are the only times that you hear Indy speak Greek. But Last Crusade yeah. establishes that he can he speak can. it, That's right. and Dial of Destiny uses it. Uh, in Greek? <laughs> yeah. Franchise tropes and staples, they're all there. And yeah, everything's this there. This is a 10 out of 10. Although, I will mention this because this is also <laughs> where it starts to feel like a little bit of a a step back. There are elements... Like, this is where it starts to feel like, oh, the best way to make an Indiana Jones movie is to do everything we did in Raiders. So it does feel like a step yeah. down from Raiders, and it kind of sets up Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to fail. Because it kind of... They learn the wrong lessons. Maybe, last crusade. maybe a little bit because yeah everything's there but it just kind of feels like a little bit oh well, we've done this before yeah and and when you take out that amazing just that tent pole of the presence of connery it doesn't stand up as any it wouldn't work strong. yeah i don't think it would have worked with any other actor <laughs> if you hadn't had sean connery in there mm-hmm. i highly doubt that this movie would have been as successful also as far as like actions and some of the sequences that they survive and we already talked about how like some of those action moments already feel a little more slapstick there are things that henry jones senior survives only by the grace of god and that <laughs> yeah. well before you get to the grail saving his life yeah. <laughs> just different yeah. moments that that Feel, well, and this yeah. one also starts like the the introduction scene is way longer in this one compared to the previous two, and Where, yeah, young indie that starts a trend scout. for the later movies. That's true, yeah. And the the prologue of young Indiana Jones is interesting. It also gives him a win, like the cross of Coronaya is one of the few artifacts he actually comes back with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he doesn't actually uh, acquire many of the artifacts that he goes after. That oh, we see. Oh, oh, well, for five, in fact, well, <laughs> more than I mean, likely, he got. Yeah. The, the the arc the CIA or the, their predecessors Army just took it away. <laughs> that's what the CIA became. Yeah. I mean, that's what the CIA grew out of. Yeah. But that's oh besides the point. They just took it away. Yeah. You know? But he does believe fundamentally that those things shouldn't belong to just one person. Yeah, they should belong in a museum. That's, yeah. that's essentially his catchphrase. Yes. It's his like and this, core and belief. And this is the movie that introduces it. Like Last Crusade actually kind of adds tropes. Which, a little bit. If the, anything, the museum. Yeah. Thing. Does he not say it in Raiders? No. No. I mean, he intends to give it to one, but this, he, it belongs in a museum. Is comes from crusade, crusade. Crusade. through okay. and through, because oh, he sure. says that to the guys who dig up the cross of Coronado, and then yeah, he says then it he says to, the to the guy who yeah. has the cross. Says, yeah. It belongs in a museum. So, so do you. <laughs> <laughs> so throw him over the side. So fans waited for five years, and the effects are still as strong. The Grail theme and just so many of the leitmotifs in this movie continue to hold up. I think the music is a 10 once again. Yeah, so the we Grail have, theme was a cool, was a really cool addition. Yeah. Because it harkens back to to some of the, uh, you know, 1700s or so coronation music, which is really interesting, you know, as a side note. But yeah, the music is still just out of this world. It's so good. Always. Because so, John Williams. We've got story 10, artifact and lore, or sorry, story 9, artifact and lore 10, allies and love interests 9, villains 8, which I've, I've said this multiple times in throughout this week and didn't actually say it on the podcast yet. I love that Julian Glover and Mads Mikkelsen are the only actors to both be Bond villains and be Indiana Jones villains. Franchise, tropes and staples Donovan. 10, and then effects and music 10 as well. So Crusade does get very high marks. And on that note... We go Crystal to Kingdom Skull. of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> Actually, hold on. 
there's I need to make an adjustment to Crusade. Uh, it does not have the battle with the brute. And funny <laughs> enough, the battle with does the, the brute tank count? Not necessarily. Well, the th- the funny thing is, the brute character in Raiders and in Temple of the Doom, same actor. The guy who gets shre- seriously, yeah, the guy who gets shredded by the propellers <laughs> is the same guy who gets killed by the rock crusher in Temple of Doom. Oh, that's and funny. that actor <laughs> is in Last Crusade. He was gonna get killed again. He's walking. He's running up to the Zeppelin with the Colonel when they're going after the Joneses, but all of his stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. The only thing Aww. we got was. The colonel getting socked in the face and then thrown totally. out, and Indy going no, no ticket. ticket. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> so one of the greatest. That sequence the did get a, a little bit abbreviated, so we lose the battle with the brute. But the brute with the colonel and who then gets eaten by the ants. That's in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like it oh, very. does. It leans into the tropes. It just yeah, doesn't hit the mark in a lot of other spots. I feel like I feel like in in Crusade they just replace the battle with the brute with the battle with the tank. That's fair. I think the tank takes the belly of the steel beast. Yeah. But yeah. beside the point, it, it's not another person. It's and, a yeah. big old tank. And the death of the, the colonel and the destruction of the tank is arguably the greatest cliff fall sequence in the original <laughs> Indiana Jones films, followed by the truck going off the cliff in Raiders and then the death of Mularam. My brother and I have talked about a lot of this stuff over the no, years. That's fair. It's like, how do these films stack up at all of these different permutations? This is why I'm taking this route. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull suffers in, in, in a few key points. One, it's over-reliance on CGI. A lot of the effects are no longer practical. The CGI from 08 just doesn't look as good as it could. The same stuff done now would look better. CGI doesn't age well. We're constantly developing better and new ways to do it. So when you don't have the practical effects to rely on, some of those sequences just, just don't make sense, and they don't look very good. It was enjoyable when it first came out as a kid, and now that we've grown, I've grown up more and we've watched it again, I mirror the sentiment that's like, man, I really did like this when it first came out. I liked Mutt. I really wanted Mutt to be better. I thought Shia LaBeouf did a great job with the script he was given. Well, and between him through and through being the, a greaser yeah. and the sci-fi elements that it leans into with the 50s, I mean, this movie, for better and for worse, is leaning into the era in which it's set. And it's and it serves it in some spots, and it really hurts it in others. Because so many people, you you lose them in the first act when it's like he survived a nuclear blast by getting inside of a refrigerator. So this is the story we're telling. It's a lead line. <laughs> it was lead line. It was lead. Doesn't line. matter about the lead line. The kinetic force of being just a mile away. He would have broken every bone in his body. Yes, I'm aware. But it was lead line. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Would have been protected the- from the radiation. That's as not far the as issue. Artifacts and lore, like the alien aspect, like it's interesting. It just doesn't get as fleshed out or is as interesting as things that have come before. The thing is, is like the the, the concept of there being a crystal skull coming out of South America, indigenous peoples. That's not that's not new. There's there's other stories that have kind of touched on this before that I can't name right now, but I know they exist. <laughs> Stargate SG One has an episode Stargate about does. a crystal skull. Oh, it's also true. And there's, I mean, it's, well, everything has to do with aliens and Stargate, yeah, but but it makes sense for Stargate because we expect aliens, and it, but it didn't have to be. It could have been something else. It really could have been, and the fact that this was an alien really actually bothered me. I don't know why that. I bothered think I would have been me. fine with it if they had presented it in a different way. I guess maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been bothered by the aliens if it had been done better. I don't know. <laughs> having having a like gray man alien head like lean towards the camera and give that like disappointed look 
at the right, end. That was just. Ugh. It felt a little cartoony to me. Yeah, and it doesn't look great because the CGI hasn't aged very well. It looked okay then. I mean, it doesn't look great now. Gollum looks better. Well, if we're going down the line here, I'm giving it a seven for story. It fall it falls flat in execution, but a lot of really strong ideas are there. Yeah, when it first came out, it was going to be the it was going to be the send off for Jones. And like I said earlier, and the potential for a new and the potential for series because you could have Mutt be the new. But he also take takes the, the hat back. Like the passing of the torch moment kind of gets the rug pulled out from yeah, under. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, that was disappointing. There's, there's some actually. interesting decisions made. Like again, like it doesn't really have. Indiana it didn't jo- commit Indi- to being a yeah, send-off. Indiana Jones zigs so often when you expect it to zag in so many, uh, basically in every subsequent installment. It, if it was going to be a send-off, it, it needed to be, and it never committed to that. Yeah. Instead, we had, like I said earlier, this Indiana Jones who really is too old to be doing this anymore, but with the core of his being feeling like, I've still got it, I can still do it, everything I, it, that needs to be done, I can do. And so he doesn't rely on his allies. Mm-hmm. Mutt is tagging along after him in a way, trying to prove himself, and he can't. You get Marion Mary, uh, back, Okay, great. And, oh, that was good, honestly. And John Hurt, for as little as he is in, does a wonderful job as Harold Oxley. I struggled with Mac as the ally who basically constantly betrays him and is only in it for the money. Like That felt like Indiana Jones inspired the mummy, and then the mummy inspired Indiana Jones, because he felt like Benny. Yeah, a mm, little bit, mm-hmm. for sure. And although that said, because Marion is back, I'm not dropping the allies and love interest number below a seven. <laughs> I was going to say, she's probably one of the best ideas that they had in the movie was bringing mm-hmm. her back. And then there's things that, that like, there are things that work, like having them finally get married at the end. Yeah. There are, I really liked that. I'm going to drop the story from a seven to a six. And I think I talked about this. I can't remember which one of you I said this to. The character played by Jim Broadbent, as well as some of Indy's lines in the diner, clearly were intended to be in the movie when they thought they were going to get Connery back. And then when he didn't do it, they decide, okay, instead Indiana Jones, his father passed between films. Cause like Jim Broadbent telling him I resigned is nowhere near as impactful coming from a character we haven't met. That line was probably originally supposed to be said by Henry Jones senior, or you have the, you just brought a knife to a gunfight, quoting Sean Connery's character of Malone in The Untouchables. Yeah. Clearly a line intended for Connery that did not get changed once they didn't have I think them. I think you're probably right. Yeah, there's some execution elements in the storytelling that are holes that you kind of can't believe didn't get plugged, I guess yeah. would be the way to put it. I don't think the Russians are nearly strong enough as a villain. Which is why I have them at a four, because all the love in the world to Kate Blanchett. She's one of the she's most great. amazing actors amazing. working. She's a very period. bland character. Yes. It, car- cartoonishly evil to the point that I have her at a four under Molaron. She does get to, they'd have, she like sword fights, but Mutt. on the Jeeps, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of fun. That I like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mutt. He does like the splits when the Jeeps fight? go far apart. Yep. But, and her supporting cast is very one note. I mean, they, they, they land Russian soldier. Yeah. The way, like, I mean, her plan and like the, the, some of the different elements, and also like the kind of bleeding of some of the light motifs, like to kind of like jump to the music. We already talked about repeatedly how the effects just didn't resonate well. Like the light motifs in this movie are either repeating from previous films, yeah, or they of... are not memorable on their own. Because tell me what the theme for the Crystal Skull or for Irina Spalko is. They're not in your brain because they're not repeated enough. 
and not used in significant enough moments to really stick. I don't know the the behind the scenes of this one. I know that Williams wasn't involved with the actual recording for this one because he did writing, but he didn't. Act, he wasn't actually on the soundstage with the orchestra for the recording of the score, mm-hmm. as opposed to Dial Destiny, where he did go back and be on the soundstage and do the recordings, yeah. which is what he's done for every movie he's done in almost every case up until recently. Mm. But I don't, yeah, I think the, the music might actually honestly get a nine just because it felt like Williams was just rehashing the same stuff with slightly different arrangement and calling it a day. Yeah. It just so, didn't, the whole movie suffers from, it just didn't get enough attention. Or, yeah, detail. and then it's using, like, I mean, obviously we get Marion's theme and we see her again, or we get the arc theme when they go into Area 51, but it's like, okay, we as the audience can tell where they're going. We don't need the arc theme to tell us. Like, there's, Indiana Jones films usually do a very good job of not spoon feeding to their audience, and King of the Crystal Skull does do that in a few areas. Before we do any of our additional number rankings, again, story six, artifact lore five, allies, love interest seven, villains four, franchise tropes and staples nine, those are there. Uh, Effects three, music six. Let's go into the fifth film and Larissa, because I know what our timetable looks like. Tell us. Any and all of your thoughts that you want to share on Dial of Destiny. Please help us frame this conversation. Yeah, so with the fifth film, the main thing that stood out to me, the fifth one does a great job of, like you've been pointing to throughout the conversation, Ben, bringing more humanity back into all the different elements of the story. And I think that's what sets it up, to me at least, to be as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not that at, up at that same level, like being it, because, you know, it's still a sequel to the original, but... I didn't have many issues with it. And you'd put it with Doom and Crusade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it succeeds in so many ways and calls back to to all of these movies in a way that is, is just a love letter. The movies don't really treat women super well. I love Marion, but she... So it's neat to see Phoebe Waller-Bridges get to do more and still be in that adventurer-style role. Mm-hmm. I think she's established in a really interesting way that both her and Teddy, that initial car chase does a lot to help you play with who their characters are and what the dynamics are and helps you kind of imagine what their lives are like Mm -hmm. without spending a lot of time giving you flashbacks or things like that just established through the race itself which or the chase itself which is fun and in terms of just like sharp as a whip oh goodness pun unintended but in hindsight should have been fully intended (laughs) helena feels like marion in a lot of ways like when she has the line like bail money and a lifetime of happiness it's like oh that was a marion line through and through yeah <laughs> and there's just like there's so many there's areas a quippiness. yeah she in she feels like an equal to indy mm-hmm. and you want to see that several times. yeah oh for sure well he's old <laughs> especially at the end mm-hmm. yeah. at the end yep, you absolutely. know part of me part of me does just slightly wish that indy had gotten his wish that he'd stayed I don't know if that's what he really wanted. No, though. it wasn't. It was it was a, a grieving man looking for an out. Mm-hmm. But I, it would have been an okay ending. Not as good as the one we got, mm-hmm. but it would have been okay. Well, and Ford sells every moment of that. Like just the the the, the awe on Indy's face throughout everything that's happening there. And but then also like still the kind of the sense you get that he's fading. It's like you were grievously injured and need medical treatment. Yeah. <laughs> like those that's, two, both those aspects yeah. come through. That's the one thing I didn't like about the end. And I really wish he hadn't been shot, at least not in the chest because I was like, this man would be dead by now. I still say it was higher. But it, we'll, it, it, <laughs> that man is like 60, late sixties. He ain't living through that. I don't care. He's Indiana Jones. He can't die. Oh my goodness. Uh, if we want to go through element by element, because especially unpacking the latest movie and our experience of it, seeing it uh, just a few days ago, 
let's talk about the story of the film. I mean, the fact that like even from the first thing you hear is ticking clock. Okay, we're we've gone from Judaism to Hinduism to Christianity to space, and we're about to go to time. Like they are, and we yeah, and we start um, out with a flashback to the past for the first time since Last Crusade. Yeah, we get a prologue of a younger indie. All right, so I really liked this movie. My biggest issue with it, it's a half hour too long. Every single other Indiana Jones movie, all the other four are two hours. This one is two and a half hours. Yeah, Cut a half hour out. Just Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Find a way. Shorten yeah. the opening sequence. Shorten some of the chases. Mm. I really and, think the movie is about... It's, it's And you long. could make an argument that you don't need to see Voller until the sequence in Tangier. Like, all of his background stuff with the CIA could be a conversation. Yeah, and that... The CIA agent lady never, like... She didn't matter much in the grand scheme of things. That's just it. It was like if it was going to end up kind of undercooked anyway, didn't need to be there. No, that's where I I, I completely hear you on that. Even in a movie that we did like, there are ways you could Uh, trim it down. there's There's a decent amount of fat on this script that you could trim off, but I think the good bits are very... There's a lot of meat there. really good. There's some meat, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. My only complaint about young indie was the voice. Uh, that's what I said. That's what yeah. I said immediately yeah, well, to Ben well, when we yeah, left the let's, theater. Let's talk about that Old Indiana Jones voice coming out of young Indiana Jones' face didn't work for me. Yeah, no, it was I really think, weird. Uh, I, on the second viewing, it, it Yes, no, the visuals felt like they held up probably closer to 80% of the time. Yeah. yeah. The voice closer to 60. Yeah, if that. And, it will enjoy, when I mean, he yelled and then when it was shorter bits yeah it, it wasn't okay. a, yeah yeah the thing here's what they were up against and i've consumed a lot of indiana jones movie media but this wasn't as recent but it talked about how spielberg a jewish director framed the nazis the focus is almost always on indie he is not giving them the time of day there is nothing that is trying to lay, like they are a problem but there are no efforts made to make them look formidable to give them any additional attention they are there to the extent that they serve the story. So by virtue, they are there to die. Yeah. Oh yeah, and to get absolutely to annihilated get shot by a ballista. Once they, yeah. No, oh my, my god. Yeah. No. Yeah. There. Some of the hits in this movie, like, like the extent Woof. to which the, like some of the antagonists just get annihilated. We haven't seen like maybe that level since Temple of Doom. I was gonna say this and That's Temple fair. of Doom are the most violent of yeah. the franchise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or like when the and then Raiders the is right in the middle, which is kind of amazing. On yeah. the train when the anti air gun is is cocked and it's smacking the train and those, that those was rounds are pretty ripping violent. through the train yeah. and hitting guys is like wow. <laughs> Finishing my thought though on the, yeah. the framing of the Nazis, if you're not gonna put additional focus on them, then that focus has to be on indie, which means you're asking your visual effects department to do a lot more because he's going to be that point of focus and you're having to do that with a CGI And when he's model. still, it worked pretty well. We're talking about the de-aging. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if we actually de-aging. said that out front. But yes, yeah. in the opening sequence, Harrison Ford is de-aged digitally to, mm-hmm. you, you know. No, and there are some shots Harrison like Ford they're, they're lit now. well, they st- they hold on him enough that they hold up flawlessly. And then, but sometimes when he's moving, the head feels a little wobbly. Just, like just it doesn't, little, it's, it's, it's uncanny it's really valley enough. To catch, though. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I, I remember reading about this is that they, tr- they programmed effectively an AI to troll footage of Harrison Ford from that age. Yeah. They and combed through every he, bit of film that Lucasfilm had because yeah, he has been in a get, lot of their projects to get <laughs> this. And I think that's the only reason it looks as good as it does. I mean, it does. It does it, look really, it really well. does. The opening sequence was good. The opening sequence was fun, but it, I think the most interesting part about it for me was introducing uh, Waller, Waller, and Basil, 
I mean, and Basil. And Mickelson and Jones yeah, both I mean, do a phenomenal it, it job. It sets up your villain, and then it also sets up your ally. I don't think the opening sequence, per se, was too long. I think I agree with both of you where you did not need Voller's direct involvement in the events in well, New York. Well, and it's it's because it's providing background information, and it makes him seem more sinister. But you cast Mads, Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen. Man is great he already is sinister. sinister. <laughs> you really don't need to layer in those extra elements. As far as just like the different story beats, again, we get to go to a completely different element. We're going to the history of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Which and, is cool. Yeah. Which is very cool. And getting to dig into a figure that you can see through the way that they set it up that Indiana Jones has great admiration for. I mean, the university sequence, and this was something I appreciated, the classroom scenes in Raiders and in Last Crusade and in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull are all framed pretty much and in, in like beat for beat almost the exact same. We see Indy teaching. We see Marcus, or Broadbent's character, whose name I'm immediately not remembering yeah, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, approaching from outside conversation we move on to the next thing based on that this film completely does its own thing we have an ally already in the classroom we have the students come in to disrupt the class at the end it's not shot the same way the room is completely different. i mean they they very much made this its own thing which i appreciated after seeing the remix a couple times i think part of that is is because that's not he's not indie anymore he's dr henry jones jr professor Mm -hmm. and so that's his life and close to retirement. Other, yeah. In every other movie, his life is Indiana Jones. So mm-hmm. his life is coming to interrupt as opposed to his life is being interrupted. This is the first movie where he refuses the call to adventure because Wombat comes to him and she's like, hey, let's go look for this artifact. And he's, and he's no. like, I'm not going on an adventure. But he already also already has it. The complicated dynamics, like we haven't seen that before in Indiana Jones movie where where an artifact or an element has been in Indy's back pocket for X amount of time. Like, oh, he, yeah, happened, to, like, he happened to get brought in on the initial landing with the with the Martians in, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or he has a loose tie-in somewhere where he gets brought in by somebody else. But the fact that this is him revisiting something and it's already a part of his story and and his connection to it now at this phase of his life is very different. Like, that was a different approach to take that I, I found myself really appreciating. Again, getting to see something different and then also getting to meet a character in, in Helena who got fleshed out in a lot of interesting ways that wasn't just a clear, here's the next generation that they kind of foisted upon Mutt. I really like Helena because she's kind of, she's kind of Belloc and Indiana Jones mixed she's into a one. weird amalgam of the two. Because she, yeah. she's in it for the money but, you know, she has the proper background and training that Indy mm-hmm. does. Plus a little bit of Marion and plus a little bit of this movie is set in the 60s and where were women's headspaces at. Mm-hmm. They really blend all those elements together nicely. I did appreciate the way that they treated Helena as a independent, capable character on her own without Indy. Yeah. Like, I mean, I love Fugue Waller Bridge, Indy. so I was already like... Yeah. Oh, this is her. I'm immediately attached to this character. Well, and she doesn't lose agency in any way. She doesn't either. lose any of that ever. Well, and, and there was because again, it felt like in so many ways she was stepping into the Marion role. Felt like again, felt closer to her than maybe any other character in the franchise has in a lot of ways. And and then, I, I mean, well, let's let's address uh, the the biggest element of kind of the the 
emotional core of this story and the interesting decisions that it makes. Like, it's tied to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is that it does use the fact that Mutt would have been the right age to fight and die in Vietnam. Yeah. And it, it takes that element of the story and it handles it grace it handles it with grace and does it really well. It, That's the that is yeah. the best emotional acting from Harrison Ford throughout the whole movie is when he talks about so the the, the MacGuffin, the Antikythera, supposedly it gives them the ability to travel through time, right? What we find out later it, it actually does work. And <laughs> one it only goes to one spot. But it only goes to <laughs> one place, right? It's, it's a fixed loop. Yeah. It's really literally Archimedes went I need reinforcements and I can't get them from anywhere else. So maybe this will bring them. But when they don't know that at some point, Helena asks Indy, you know, what would you do if you could travel? And he, he says, I would stop my son from enlisting. And that scene where he explains what happened in his life after Mutt enlisted and was subsequently killed in action and he couldn't handle it. He couldn't be there for his wife, Marion. And Marion's now leaving him. We see the divorce papers in the very opening sequence. Um, well, and you actually see you see a photo of Mutt in uniform in the opening sequence. Yeah, there's too. a photo of Mutt in across, uniform. Right next to a photo of his dad. That's right. Henry Jones Sr. So you get all of that in that opening sequence, and then he finally speaks to it. And the Marion's theme comes back from John Williams, but it's just solo flute, which was really well done, uh, with a little bit of harp underneath after after a minute. That whole sequence was just... I think that was the most emotional scene in the movie. And it was Harrison Ford's performance and the music. The allies and love interests I category here, I mean, the fact the fact that we also get Sala back. We get Sala. And again, he's only in a few spots, but having the family immigrated to America, spending time with his grandchildren, and being game to go on the adventure if Indy only asks him. Well, it's more than he game. Has his he has He later. wants to go. I, yeah. I am ready to go. Yeah. You, all you have to do is say the word. And I'm, I'm actually really appreciative that they didn't drag Sala along. Because <laughs> I feel like he wouldn't have survived. To, yeah, no, no, no. The, it's, it's well, the old still... friend character does not live in this movie. I know. The so... only old friend that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. But it's okay because there's Antonio Banderas. And getting Indiana Jones crossing Paz with Zorro was uh, everything I wanted. Yeah. I was happy with that. Well, and then they also, you mentioned... Earlier on in our conversation, Teddy getting to kill somebody. The fact that he drowns one of the Nazis after the Nazis drowned one of Ronaldo's men. Poetry. The fourth character going on the mission that you know is not going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. Red shirt. Yep. Very Red much shirt. so. Very much so. And then you also... Ha- but then Teddy took out the brute because an 80-year-old Indiana Jones is, is not, not going to do that. <laughs> Nobody could. We saw a couple of people try to take swings at that behemoth of a man and it failed miserably for all of them yeah oh my gosh i think i mean at the end of the day this movie was it really was just the effects were great it was a good blend of of going back to practical effects with cgi where the cgi was actually quite good all the sets felt real the sets felt really real and I and I I mean when they were in Tangiers, I'm sure they were shooting in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Like, but like no Archimedes' tomb and stuff, like that felt like very in grounded yeah. and yeah. You, I'll I'll state that the I was really surprised the the Romans looked almost accurate. They weren't wearing the traditional lamellated metal sheeting armor. They had they had chainmail and the round shields. They didn't have the standard legionnaire squared curved shields yet. So they were proper, more proper than we see in a lot of times when the we see Romans not necessarily always shown the right way. So 
that was a statement just from my own i really like rome getting to see an, a, an earlier centurion although i'm not sure if rome was using uh, the legionary model in 213 bc it would have been so easy for this ending to feel silly and it feels deeply emotional just between again the awe of the situation where indy's head is at getting to have a conversation with archimedes, with archimedes. like so many of those elements I, I feel do land well the funniest element of it to me is that italian pilot is probably going to get committed to an insane asylum because he just woke <laughs> yeah. up in his plane went back in time and is not going to be able to tell anyone about this who's going to believe him he's gonna, you know what he's gonna do he's gonna sell that plane that is the he's f- never gonna fly again that is the funniest bystander sit- moment in any indiana jones movie. he's gonna sit in a tavern for the rest of his life because no one there's no other option yeah that was that was very entertaining um but also kind of completely unnecessary except the fact that he helps teddy land the plane yeah and and gives us like the the teddy like they did so well with him too i mean just so many wonderful setups and payoffs teddy is a capable member of the team Mm -hmm. and he's never really treated like i mean they treat him like a kid but he's never treated like he can't accomplish something simply because he's a kid. Yeah. Which I, it, I think is, without going back and rewatching Temple anytime recently, I think that's my issue with Short Round, is that he's treated like a kid and he's treated like he can't accomplish something simply because he's a kid. Yeah. In, a lot, in some ways. Yeah, the framing matter. Well, the framing, another way the framing is successful in this film is the way that they were able, between the people that die at the university or when Ronaldo and his men are slaughtered, you do get to spend some time with Indy as he is kind of carrying the weight of that. And it's kind of contra- and it's contrasted well with Helena. And that's kind of a good way to point out, like you're going to look back on this or your, as you age experiences differently than you did when you were a young man generating carnage and just moving on to the next thing. Like yeah, it, he, do, it he does. He drops Nazis it, yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah. Or, or, or loses but, friends and, and, yeah, and, friends and, and doesn't really regularly. have an opportunity to sit with it. In this movie, he actually does kind of get to sit with it and, yeah. and actually kind of address it and have conversations and moments. Of, to talk I really, about really Helena. appreciated yeah. the st- that when he says to Helena that my friend was just murdered mm-hmm. and it's more because it's more impactful. I guess it's, it's not more impactful, but the older you get, the less friends you got around anymore. Mm hmm. You've lost some. You've lost some already. Well, he because lo- he loses an ally right at the beginning of Temple of Doom, or this is where Forrestal cashed in. I mean, he's yeah. had friends and associates that drop all over the place. So yeah. this, this movie, again, takes a lot of time, but does dedicate its time well in, in a lot of spots. I think. Uh, let's talk. I guess a little bit again, just going through our elements here because I feel like we've praised the story, we've praised the allies and love interests, uh, villains, Mads and his supporting cast are excellent. Voller, Voller was really well done. Voller was also, I love the costuming choice when they first introduced him to be very indicative of Toth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the long black leather jacket, the weird glasses. It's the civilian side of it as opposed to when he he's gets not to military. the end of the film, he's, right. he's, he's dressed as like a member of the Gestapo. I will say I loved at the end right. that, because you assume for the whole movie his plan is to go back in time and just... You know, help win the war, or whatever. I know, no. and that is his plan. That's but it's a plan. twist where he's like, "No, I'm going to go back and I'm going to take out Hitler because he's the reason I'm he lost." Replace Hitler. I thought that was like really interesting. Yeah, the sinister motive of when he says, "Like I saw every mistake," like the fact that it's like you're going to go back and make this worse than it was. I know, right? Like, <laughs> like, I saw yeah. every mistake. I know exactly how to win this war by going back. It, yeah. it was t- it, honestly, he is the ramifications of him being able to do that are probably the most terrifying. Mm-hmm. As far as villains go, his stakes are probably the highest. And 
If they, he succeeds, that's it. The and, world is completely done. But they did a beautiful job when his moment of, like, maybe, like, like as soon like, Donovan dies, like, within 30 seconds. <laughs> the, this idiot. is maybe for the first time since Raiders, the best, the villain having to sit through their mistake or having some time to digest, oh, no. <laughs> when... When the artifact does them in, because you have the the, the extended sequence at the end of Raiders, and he wants to turn back as soon as he realized my calculations were wrong, we're in trouble, and it's (laughs) too late. Everybody's calculations would always be wrong, because it turns out Archimedes didn't build a time machine, he built a... A loop. Distress beacon? It's like a homing device. Yeah, it's like a... Honestly, it's like, this is going to take them exactly here, ever, and... The dra- the fact that the uh, the Romans and and uh, Syracuse soldiers were always were shouting that they were dragons made me very happy. <laughs> the planes in the sky were dragons. Yeah. Oh my. Goodness. And everybody just starts shooting at them. The Syracuse and the Roman soldiers both are like, that thing is wrong. Bring it down. <laughs> made me very happy. No, I think Valor, as far as the villain goes, I think he's just as strong as Belloc, especially since you know he's fought Indy once before in the past, and then. We bring him to forward, and it's indie again. So there's a little bit of that connection there. They have a personal history, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it really works. He worked really, really well. The whole movie overall, just the send off. Let's go through these numbers, and then let's go back and kind of see how everything landed. So, for story for Destiny, uh, I have it set up as an eight. Again, it felt like it could be trimmed in certain places. I like and- it at an eight. I know it could be trimmed. I do like it at an eight. An eights, I'll live with an eight. You're I would say eight. like a seven or whatever, just because I think it. Yeah, but. It was a little long. Artifact and lore. I mean, they do weave the Archimedes aspects and the time aspect. Like it, it. Feels, I really liked it. For even though it feels long, it does feel. I think it's focused. like an eight. Yeah. eight or because nine. it's it's not iconic. Seriously, it's not. I mean, the Antikythea. I don't even know if that's a thing. I don't even know if they just made it up or not. But I like it. But Archimedes, Archimedes is, is also cool. sort of like he the did artifact. do stuff that we still don't. We don't know how he pulled it off. Right. Allies and love interests I had at a nine because the new characters are really strong and they brought back fan favorites Marion and Sala and used them well. Villains I have at eight, uh, just in terms of Baller being as strong as he was. Also, wait, we haven't even said Boyd Holbrook's name yet. Like, his southern character who's thrown in with the Nazis was trigger-happy and crazy and basically did what he needed to. I mean, obviously... Uh, he was a gun for his, hire. Yeah, his, he was per- a his performance as the Corinthian and Sandman is more memorable by far, but he's he does yeah. great work here. So have villains at an eight. Franchise tropes and staples, they're all covered, but they are remixed in interesting ways. Eight or they, the nine or ten. I have opinion. it at ten, yeah. yeah, for sure. Effects, they did well. They're they held good. up. It was, even in the intro where it would have been easy for things to kind of fall apart at the seams, I have that at a nine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go with a nine. Nine's good. And then for music... Again, there's not a ton of new light motifs, but when you mentioned Bringing what you Williams did, Williams back, yeah. And when you mentioned what you did specifically about the sequence on the boat and how yeah. it used Marion Seaman in that moment, I've got it at an eight. Yeah, that's fair. Our final tally, I think, does feel right here. So obviously, Raiders is gets all seven of its ten. So marks, it is scored, it is, it is yeah. scored at seventy. Uh, that we, in we do drop, but we only drop by sixteen total points when we hit Temple of Doom. I have it at a fifty-four. Okay. We jump back up by 9 to 65 for The Last Crusade, only 5 off of Raiders. And I think for a lot of our experiences, that I think, tracks. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we dropped 25 points oh. <laughs> for Kingdom of the Poor Crystal Kingdom. Skull uh, down to a mark of 40, uh, which I think for a while we all thought was going to be the end of the story, and then we got Dial of Destiny, which... 
pulls the nose back up and I also again I mentioned this as we were leaving Teddy does something that Indiana has never done successfully in the Indiana Jones movie he lands a plane that is flyable after it's been landed <laughs> <laughs> and Dial of Destiny uh, soars off with a score of 60 only 10 shy of Raiders I so the I, order I fair. is number Raiders, wise is Raiders Last Crusade Dial, Dial of Destiny, Destiny Temple, Temple of Doom and Kingdom that feels I'm, right to I, me. I live. I'm gonna live with that. I'm okay with that. I'm more than okay with that because that's yeah. Raiders and Last Crusader are my two favorites. It, and it blows my mind that Dial of Destiny is even in the zip code with the trio from the '80s. That yeah, I know. That's shocking to me, but Go it, see it. it holds up. Go, yeah, Go absolutely. See it. At the end of this day, if you if if you're listening to all of our all of our just commentary on anything really, and you haven't seen it. Go see it, man. It, this this was a blast to see in theaters. It's not going to be in theaters much longer. Go check it out. Get out to any other movie you're interested in at this yeah. point, because the theaters are they're back. It feel it felt almost uh, when we walked out of the movie theater. I said this is weird because the the it was a Friday night and the parking lot was full and there were people, <laughs> and I thought that was weird. And it shouldn't be anymore. I don't think we need to get we need to get back to our theaters because there's something about experiencing a movie. Like Indiana Jones or like Spider Man or <laughs> whatever you have going on this yeah. summer, there's something about experiencing on the big screen, and you lose, you lose the blockbuster feel if you don't go see the blockbuster in theaters. Yeah. Well, and for a final chapter, for one that's able to deal with everything about themes of grief and change and reckoning with the past. I, I mean it. There are so many things about this movie. Like I am thrilled having grown up with this franchise that Indy gets to go out on top. This movie feels like an inc- an incredible entry in the franchise that you'd stack up with any that came before it. A good ending is not a given, <laughs> as we have learned with other franchises uh, that would be beloved uh, for us. It's wonderful to see that this is Harrison Ford's last time donning the fedora. And Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is a worthwhile conclusion for an amazing character and an amazing story. And where else would you rather see an adventurer end his story? Or adventurers, Marion and Indiana both. Where would you rather see their story end than surrounded by the love of a found family? excited to bring back the first guest we ever had on the podcast here to tell us about something she is very very fond of and we have enjoyed many many a show and episodes together autumn schultz joins us to talk about korean dramas happy to be here what first drew you to k-dramas as they are colloquially known I feel like I was the kid that started with anime and then then you know you couldn't get enough so you had to explore other options mm-hmm. you know so um that was back in the day where you had to watch anime and like several parts on YouTube well guess yep. what also was in several parts on YouTube K-dramas Really? So, yes. Okay. <laughs> Only far more parts because every episode is like an hour or hour so an long, hour and long. a half yes yeah. yes yes but then I think that kind of just 
grew over time because they developed in kind of like the same way that anime did where like things got more hype so like more of them started to come out and more people started to watch them so they became more available over here and everything mm-hmm. so it was also like one of the things that like me and my sister were able to like bounce back and forth on one another yeah it's yeah. always fun to have those things that you watch together yeah i love talking about it though because i was having a conversation with one of my friends the other day and they were like man i cannot get my girlfriend into anime like she just doesn't like it i don't know what to do and i was like here is your gateway you gotta watch a k-drama first (laughs) because (laughs) they're very similar Mm -hmm. but like k-drama is great because it's so much more isolated into into its own kind of story Mm -hmm. and it's much shorter i won't say that about the chinese dramas because those are much longer but (laughs) yeah but they're also their own kind of isolated story if you want something longer you could go to those the acting is a little more fantastical Mm -hmm. so and they have a lot of like fantasy i was saying like what you got to do is you got to watch a romance k-drama or something and then that'll get you into the feel and then you can proceed from there into anime or something well and i feel like it's easier because they hit the same like tropes and sort of character archetypes and stereotypes mm-hmm. and for some people i know there's there's like a transition issue with the cultural differences when it comes to anime like mm-hmm. especially when characters go all chibi and get very cartoony well, and, and that's their why, eyes get all big because i was having this conversation with a couple right and she was standing right there and she was just like i just don't get it there every scene there's boobs and i can't handle it and i'm like mm-hmm. that's just how it happens it's just <laughs> part of it you got to yeah i mean that's the cultural hump where you're like, well, I got to get used to to A so I can get used to B. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was like, you got to watch a K-drama first because it can kind of segue you in to all the crazy that happens in the anime. Because it yes. has its own kind of crazy things that happen that doesn't happen in American dramas. Well, in, in some instances, it's the same story. Boys Over Flowers, which mm-hmm. you had me watch, yes. was a manga first and then they made an anime of it, but there's also a live action. I don't know Adapta- if it's a, yes. a J-drama or K-drama. The, there, but... There's several adaptions okay. of that one because it's very, very popular. But <laughs> the K-drama is probably the best one. It has one of my favorite actors in it. They do a lot of that. They take like stories that are already developed and everything, and then they'll turn them into dramas for mm-hmm. people to watch. And then if you wanted to know more about this story, you can go back and you can read the comic or sometimes the anime if they mm-hmm. develop that. So Well, and it's nice because they're often like just one season, right? Yes, so most of them are. And even though the episodes are a little longer, it's not like a massive commitment. You're I not mean, committing most, to... Most of the ones I've watched are under 20 episodes. That's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can get into anime where you're like, oh, God, there's 300 episodes of this anime. (laughs) I think the only thing that, like, scares people is subtitles. Mm -hmm. And just because they're like, I'm not used to the language. And then, like, people sound weird when you watch them in English. And Don't watch it in English. (laughs) I'm not a purist or anything, but K-drama, just... Just read the subtitles. Yeah. It's it's not that hard. You watch everything with subtitles anyway. Just Mm -hmm. read them. (laughs) And, yeah, I feel like so much more of the, like, emotion of the acting performance comes through when you're actually listening to the real actor's voice instead of like someone who dubbed it after the fact. Absolutely. Just because of um, most of the acting and a lot of like the fantastical things that happen in it. So uh, a lot of the action is very anime-esque like the way live action yes so like the way they shoot things and like some of the cgi and stuff that they include in those dramas just kind of like gateways more towards towards that kind of media is it really different so like stylistically and just how the stories unfold 
is really different from what we expect in Western media? Is that where it really helps you move toward anime? Absolutely, I would say. The cultural differences come through, like the way characters act and like, especially uh, you definitely have like those char- you definitely have like those character tropes if you're watching like a romance anime or something like that you always have like the the lead two people and then there's always like that second guy who's the second lead and it's like oh is she gonna go for him i don't know that's something that happens in anime It'll, a lot yeah. a lot of the same character tropes where there's like there's one really goofy guy who just does really goofy things and everybody makes fun of him for it so it'll introduce you to character archetypes like sundere's which are, it's like a love interest, but she's very angry all the time. And mm-hmm. like, you know. What's she angry about? Yeah, it can be anything. But most, <laughs> mostly angry at the male love interest. And, she, mm. you know, she's like, you're so stupid. And you do all these dumb things all the time. And I don't like you at all. But secretly, she really does like him. Mm, that but she can't very tell anybody. Confusing. Yes, but it's very dramatic. Ooh. So what is your favorite K-drama then, Autumn? Like, if you had to give the listener one to start with. It depends on what you are into, because Ooh. I actually brought a list with What me if I'm into pirates? If you're into pirates? Yeah, is there an answer for that? I mean, there's definitely pirates in a lot of them that I've seen. I don't know if I could name one off the top of my head right now. That's okay. Um, what you got on your list? Oh, okay. Well, I, like I said, it depends on what you're into. If you're into like something kind of historical, a lot of these are on Netflix, so I would suggest uh, just looking up K-dramas on Netflix and seeing what is your fancy. But Mr. Sunshine is on there, and that has uh, that's kind of a historical drama, but it's also a romance, so... Um, it's there, very there's intense. There's like always romance. There's there's almost like Bridgerton level romances. No, no. It's more like it's like a will they won't they mm-hmm. for like the Ooh. run of the season for m- majority of yeah. it, like sitcom style, like Cheers, Sam and Diane type situation. Well, it's its own thing. I think that's why Ooh. that's why it's a good introduction to anime because like it's a romance, but it's very much an Eastern style of like romantic storytelling. Mm-hmm. you're over halfway through the series and they finally touch hands and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> they finally yeah. touched after yeah. all this time. You, you've watched seven <laughs> and a half hours of the show and you're like, they touched hands. And if they touch hands in the first episode, you know it's a bad K-drama because the romance is moving too quickly. <laughs> it's oh. moving too quickly. That's true. And that's something that Western media does a lot where it's like mm-hmm. the first episode, people are together and they bang Yeah, they whatever, hook up. And and yeah. It, so there's no... There's no there's no sweetness in it. There's no mm. like ease into it. This this has a lot of other drama that's going around at the same time. And it's like, will they get together? I don't know. But mm. they're on the cover together. So that probably <laughs> <laughs> eventually it's the journey of how we get there. Yes. It'd be that- a real twist if they didn't end up getting together. <laughs> Hey, sometimes there's that second love interest and you never know what's going to happen. Ooh, does that happen? That happens? That's the trope. It happens a lot. <laughs> which guy is going to Which guy? Is like gonna Twilight. Be, or which girl is it going to so be? So I'll bring up Boys Over Flowers for that one. That one's very popular. It was a manga first and then I think an anime and then they adapted it into uh, several different cultures, adapted it into a live action kind of series. The K-drama is very good. That one's kind of like a will they, won't they, who she's going to end up with. There's all these all these people that are intermingling and there's uh, that's like a modern high school kind of mm-hmm. era one. So that one's fun. Um, I have one that I've been watching called uncanny encounter. That one's also on Netflix. And basically it's like a more of like a supernatural fighting kind of drama. So there's, there's mystery, like there's mystery happening in it all the time. 
like ghosts and all sorts of stuff that are that are going on. We watched a crime drama together. We watched yes. Bad Guys. That one was that great. one was interesting because that one wasn't there. There wasn't really romance in it. Uh-uh. It was it was a police officer recruited three former criminals to like help him solve crimes. So it runs the gambit. Like a lot of them tend to be that like. All right, it's it's a fantastical story and like mostly, you know, there's romance involved. But like there's some there's some more serious like dramatic ones out there Ooh. as well. I would say my favorite one is called uh Kill Me Heal Me and it is not on Netflix. You probably have to search for it somewhere. But um it is about a man with uh several different personalities and um a one of his personalities knows a woman and all of his other personalities don't. So mm. they, they're kind of like... Conflict. There's lots of conflict because this personality knows her from somewhere and she doesn't know him. And it's a very sweet romance with lots of psychological drama. You were the one who introduced me to K-dramas and I have been enjoying them ever since. So was your first impression like the first K-drama you watched immediately won you over? Or was there a transition period where you were like, hmm? Well, I'm gonna, I was the same way as Autumn, where I've been in anime since I was a kid. So I was kind ah. of already exposed to that sort of culture. But especially because the first one you showed me was called Kane mm-hmm. on Netflix. And mm-hmm. that one was very interesting because it, ha- it was, you know, a K-drama. So it took place in Korea. But it was two parallel worlds. Like, there was our modern Korea... But then, like, the main protagonist was from, a, like, a different universe's Korea. And, like, he traveled between them. And that's pretty interesting. Hmm. But my favorite K-drama is Vincenzo on Netflix, which is about this Italian. He's Korean, but he moved to Italy and became a mob lawyer there. And then he comes back to Korea to, like, do stuff. But it's very fun. Well, mm-hmm. and these are all fun because they're very short. They're- mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, most of them are between probably 10 and 20 episodes. Yep. So they're like a uh, the, limited series, each of them? Like mm-hmm. you're watching... So th- there's never... There's hardly ever... I, I will say never. There's hardly ever multiple seasons of a K-drama. Usually, they're all just one isolated season. And you get your story from beginning to ending, and then it's done. So it's like a really... When you watch each episode, do you feel like there are arcs in the individual episodes? Or is it more like you're mm-hmm. watching chapters in one 20-hour-long movie? I think it depends on the show, but I think a lot of them, like, there is, you know, one episode is satisfying and has, like, a conflict set up and then it's resolved or, yeah. But it is dependent on each show. I start with the lighter ones Mm. and then you can get into more intense stuff as you go. When I was having a conversation with this couple, like, here's how you get your girl into it. I was like, you got to watch a romance one Mm -hmm. and then you can move to, like, a romance anime. Yeah. And then you go back and you watch, like, a more fantastical, like, sci-fi k-drama and then you can go back and watch an anime like that or Mm -hmm. something gears you into it and gets you prepared for like some of the cultural things that are happening that we're just not used to over here and it's hard for me to like get in that mindset now where everyone is like oh i'll just watch friends or Grey's anatomy again for like the millionth time or something and there's all this other media over here that we haven't experienced because it feels odd Mm -hmm. at first but then Like, once you can get into that transition period, there's just so much more media out there to consume. I like it. Go watch a K-drama, then tell us about it. Tell us about your experiences with K-drama. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review, give a rating, subscribe, and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. Check out the Storytelling Breakdown blog. 
past episodes, reach out, leave a comment, send a message. You can find Storytelling Breakdown on Facebook and Instagram, and you can reach our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com. Again, people, that is info at storytelling-breakdown.com, not underscore. You can also find our mini-series episodes for Campaign Diaries and RPG Decades at our website and where podcasts are found. The Community Update episode always represents a bit of a break in our schedule, or at least a pause between seasons. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been Storytelling Breakdown. Wayne Shout Productions. Wayne Shout. <laughs>